When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. It is a special episode of the Underdog Podcast, a bittersweet one at that. It is the last one under this feed, under the Underdog Dynasty banner, at least for the foreseeable future. But uh, as we figure out the new adventure and whatever that form that may take, uh, we're bringing in some old faces to kind of reminisce about the show, what have been the greatest moments, as well as do the usual G5 football talk and talk about offseason storylines, NFL draft storylines, and what our favorite parts of this last season and the last half a decade covering the G5 has been on uh, on the last uh, five years of doing this show here. And we're going to have uh, Cyrus Smith, Gaithers, Jared Kalmus, Zeke Palermo, uh, Joe Broback, Joe Serpico, um, Emily Van Buskirk, uh, Dan Morrison, and of course, Joe Londrigan and Eric Henry ourselves uh, here with you to kind of do all of that. And Eric, last episode, a lot of feelings, but uh, you know, we got a lot to get to. So uh, let's let's dive into the G5 football talk. Absolutely, man. Let's do it. You know, uh, to bring you guys behind the curtain, we actually uh, taped a, a quick intro about a few minutes ago, and uh, I uh, ended up waxing poetically about Joe and this podcast and everybody. But I have now composed myself. I've composed my emotions. As you guys know, this podcast, I am the emotional one in comparison to Joe. So I will save those emotions till the end of this taping as opposed to the beginning. I don't know if you're the emotional one. I think we're I think we're both emotional. I, I can definitely say I've I've had my emotional moments. If anything, <laughs> I feel like I've gone in I've gone into meetings we have and I'm like ready to rain fire and brimstone on people and you're like, all right, calm down. Let's think that, through that, this. That is true. That is true. We won't we won't get into the death of those meetings, but uh, that is true. <laughs> I I am the spirit of vengeance, and Eric is the uh, the the calm voice that uh, brings it down brings it down a notch. <laughs> yeah, which again, if you, if you probably saw us in real life, you might get the opposite idea. But yes, that is uh, that is what makes us us. What did someone say? We were Tay Diggs and '90s John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, about <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that's basically what we look like when we're together uh and it's weird that we've only been together physically like one time and that was basically at conference usa media days uh this past summer which was a great experience and you know it's interesting to see how you know all the storylines that we were thinking were going to take place over this past football season kind of did. And as we kind of move into a new form of conference usa with the nine teams that are going to be fielding football programs uh, this coming August, um, you know, I guess, what are your thoughts on how this season came to, you know, came to pass and, and what we're looking forward to in the spring here? It's interesting, Joe, because it kind of felt at the end of the day, while as it is the case with any conference USA season, you got your twists and your turns and a couple surprises. At the end of the day, we pretty much got what we expected, right? At least as far as I'm concerned with UTSA, you know, going start to 
more or less start to finish as far as uh, you know what they need to do. I mean, even when we entered conference media days, Joe, I think we 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 were challenged to try to find who was going to be that contender. We felt like we knew who the best team was, but as far as finding out who was going to be or who were going to be those, you know, teams two, three, four, and five. I think that was the the thing that we were kind of struggling with. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, the league kind of shaped up the way that, uh, again, I think speaking for me, and I think I can speak for you after this time, it kind of expected maybe the biggest surprise was what North Texas uh, coming in there challenging uh, for a league title. But even at, at the, when they got to, uh, you know, the CSA title game, it, it didn't seem as if they were really going to be contenders. When you look at the the seven and seven record, um, you know, Middle Tennessee at eight and five. Maybe that was a bit of a surprise. UAB, we know what happened with Bill Clark retiring. So I think we both thought that was going to be a bit of a question mark there. So that was about right. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the biggest surprise being FAU uh, finishing five and seven. We know what happened with uh, Willie Tiger's dismissal. I guess I'm just looking through a couple of things here. UTEP at five and seven. I-, I think we both thought their season hinged on Gavin Hardison and his development. So uh, they're about right. Even, you know, FIU at four and eight. I would say the biggest surprise there was the fact that they were what four and four at one point in time. So almost in, in bowl contention more or less at one point. And, um, you know, I guess Charlotte three and nine, that, that maybe is the biggest surprise. Just how, how ugly, um, Things got at the end with Will Healer. Obviously, I covered that that final game uh, that he he coached against FIU at Jerry Richardson Stadium. Maybe that was the biggest surprise of all. But yeah, all in all, I, I think this season kind of played out in terms of you know who won the league, kind of what we expected, and then things that we're keeping an eye on heading into twenty twenty three. Yeah, man. I mean, Liberty comes into this league and some prognosticators have said that the Flames are the team to beat. We know that they will be replacing a, a lot of players. I've had a chance to cover a handful of Liberty games over the past few years, uh, including actually their their uh, bowl game. Um, so it, actually their last few bowl games I had a chance to cover. So definitely a lot of players on that team who, to, who uh, they'll be replacing, you know, again, with some of the, the teams coming in New Mexico State, definitely want to keep an eye on them. But all in all, yeah, man, I mean, definitely a lot to look forward to. And I definitely want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, as far as stuff to look forward to, it's it's interesting that we we ran the poll with SB Nation Reacts on underdogdynasty.com and 44% of the respondents to that said Liberty was the favorite heading into the 2023 season. And just to show you how it, it was like a 1% difference. And I think 43% of people said that Western Kentucky was the favorite going in. So it's going to be a really tight race, I think think for that title just because I think there's only, you know, a handful of programs that weren't, you know, really shaken up by departures and coaching changes and, um, you know, all that not so fun stuff that uh, the current era of college football can bring. Um, but yeah, I think Liberty, absolutely, just with the fact that they've invested so much in the program, that certainly creates, um, you know, I, I don't want to say menacing, but that, that creates kind of a, an intimidating uh, opponent for the rest of the league as they look to continue, you know, developing uh, their own programs rather. And yeah, we really thought UTSA was going to be the team to beat all the way through and they more or less were as they complete that back-to-back title run. North Texas, I'm, I was also surprised the way that they kind of came together in that defense um, 
you know, that, that defense played really well. I'm, I'm a little surprised that the offense wasn't a bit more consistent considering how, you know, some of the playmakers that we knew they had. And obviously Seth Luttrell, he's gone. Eric Morris is uh, the coach of the Mean Green now as they head into the AAC. And that's another thing that we're going to be talking about a bit with um, Emily and Dan here in a, in a future segment here. Not a future segment, but in like, I don't know, 20 minutes or so when, when we get them on in regards to what to expect from the former CUSA teams that are now in the AAC. Yeah. You know, again, I, I think you kind of touched on, especially the Liberty aspect of it, you know, the finances and, you know, the funds they have. I think that's the thing. I, I you know, Joe, I would be mm-hmm. curious to see what the response is from the rest of conference USA um, fan bases and otherwise, because I think some people are are familiar with Liberty and name, obviously with Hugh Freeze and Malik Willis doing great things there now mm-hmm. on to, you know, um, Willis onto the NFL and Hugh Freeze onto Auburn. I think that is their more or less their their knowledge of Liberty as far as football. But I'll be interested to see when some of these fan bases actually get to Lynchburg and see Williams Stadium and, and see some of the mm-hmm. some of the facilities. Because as we know, Joe, and again, I don't want to veer too far off topic, but um, you know, the the topic of of athletic budgets and funds and you know investment in football has been a topic across the league. It's quite frankly the reason why the teams who left. Uh, were invited, you know, because North Texas and FAU and and Rice and Charlotte and others, TSA, UAB, they have either what, you know, brand spanking new stadiums or uh, offer, you know, in terms of facilities, we've seen North Texas facilities for one being uh, FAU being another. UAB being another, they've invested there, right? So I, I think that'll be something that I'll be curious to see the response from Conference USA fans when they they you know kind of familiarize themselves with what Liberty has to offer there. Um, and also, I mean, maybe it's a it's a segue, Joe. I, I you know we're kind of spitballing here, so I don't know if this was on your agenda, but we probably could give a you know a few more thoughts now that the conference schedule is out yeah. in terms of the new TV deal. What were your thoughts? Uh, you know, I've had a talk with, uh, I've had conversations with a few ads. And there definitely has been a concern, I think, in in some league uh, cities, some fan bases, the the fact that we know with the new TV deal um, involving the ESPN networks and and whatnot that some games are going to be played midweek. But let's use FIU as an example. And again, they are the Panthers, not the only ones, but they don't have a home Saturday game. I want to emphasize this: a home Saturday game. Uh, they play September 9th, some, excuse me, September 9th, North Texas comes to town. Of course, that's an out-of-conference game. And then the next time that they will have a home game on Saturday will be November 25th. So they're going to go almost 11 weeks without a home Saturday game. Joe, your thoughts when you know you and I both have done radio appearances in Ruston this year, uh, had a conversation with the folks there in, in, in Ruston talking about the fact that they have, you know, when uh, they've got, excuse me, they got a, a home Tuesday game and a home Thursday game. They even said that, hey, in the future, we're kind of fearful of having home Wednesday games because, you know, quite frankly, church is a big thing in Ruston on Wednesdays. People ain't missing church to go to, you know, Joe Alley Stadium. Um, so, just kind of your thoughts on that, Joe, when you, when you take a look across the, the schedules and you see, yes, the bigger platform. I don't think you and I have really had a chance to dive into this. Conference USA is getting a much needed bigger platform, but the fact that these midweek games, you know, they're going to play a factor in attendance and just such a long stretch without home Saturday games. Your your thoughts on that? Yeah. First of all, church is a, is a thing on Wednesdays in Ruston. Right. Oh, oh, you're asking. 
You're asking. Yeah, I'm, I'm asking. I wasn't aware of that. Oh, no. I mean, that. listen, you know, you and I both have done that radio spot. Shout out to uh, 97.7 there and Rustin FM. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that the host mentioned is they said, hey, you know, people ain't going to miss midweek church. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as just conference wide, I think anytime you don't have a Saturday game, I think it's it's certainly going to affect attendance. That being said, I think, you know, Scott Carr hit on it when we had him on one of the last episodes that we recorded there. Um, the makeup comes in the form of just having eyeballs from those TV slots, right? I mean, I think like one of the big things, if they can, you know, make this a consistent thing and continue to put out an entertaining product week after week with these midweek slots is you're going to have people from, all over the country that are going to get familiar with your brand. I mean, you know, heck there's, there's people out here in, in kind of the backwoods of Oregon who know, you know, what the, what the deal is with like Toledo Rockets football because of that, you know, that, that national TV slot that the Mac's been able to, you know, really ride with the last, you know, few years or so. And I think they're kind of hoping they can have the same effect. Um, can certainly understand some of the logistical issues that, that come with that, especially, you know, um, when your games are on, you know, one specific day a week, obviously Saturday is the big thing in college football that helps, you know, build habits. Right. And I think that's, that's one thing that has certainly hurt a lot of other uh, major sports in America is the, uh, just the, not the frequency of games, but the um, kind of sporadic schedule, right. It could be a Tuesday, it could be a Wednesday. So that's going to be interesting. I think the good news for people that are, you know, maybe a little skeptical is it's just in October, right? So October is going to be really crazy for you and me and everybody else that, that covers this league. Um, so that's going to be a little bit, a uh, little bit hectic, but I think overall it's going to be a good thing in the long term, but certainly there's going to be some hiccups that stem from this. But for all the people that were complaining about the CUSA media deal in the last, you know, several years, this is a huge step in the right direction because, you know, you're not going to have to, you know, really dig through bottom of the barrel streaming services to kind of find the games now. Listen, I've said this on radio, I've said it on different platforms. It's not a perfect solution, but mm-hmm. in my mind, it is absolutely better than the previous media deal. Because as you said, and not just for football, this goes across and, and you know, obviously we're a football podcast, but I think to have your Olympic sports on mm-hmm. ESPN Plus, it, that makes it very easy just as a fan. You know, I mean, I'll say this, you know, I, I still take the time to watch UCF uh, Olympic sports. Um, and it just, it's nice to have it on ESPN plus, you know? So that's yeah. certainly a big thing. There is no perfect solution, but at the end of the day, I think you and I both agree that this league sorely needed eyeballs, especially with Jacksonville state coming in with New Mexico state coming in with Sam Houston state coming in, Joe, how many times have we talked to people or people are in our mentions, and whatnot? And they're, they're like, Oh yeah. With, um, UAB, what league are they in or UTSA? Who, who do they right. play? Right. You need, you absolutely need the eyeballs and exposure. So um, this is no disrespect to, you know, folks that be in sports or, or, you know, some of the other platforms um, that, uh, that CSA football has been on, but quite frankly, it just needs a step up in, in, in exposure. Joe, I mean, I'll, I'll end, you know, kind of this topic on this just for, you know, bleeps and giggles. I was looking at the conference USA uh, championship game history. And I'd even forgotten, and this is bad as someone who the my freshman year at UCF, uh, the Knights were in Conference USA. So I should have remembered this, that 
up until 20, uh, uh, let me see if I can pull this up here on the fly. Uh, I'll, I'll correct it after this, but I believe I want to say up until 2015, 2016, the Conference USA title game was on ESPN or ESPN2. And now, of course, you know, over the past five, six years, it's been on CBS Sports Network, with which, of course, again, no disrespect to CBS Sports Network, but it, it's not as widely carried or as easily accessible as ESPN. Mm-hmm. So just even in that sense, Joe, I remember watching the CSA title game as a kid, right? Or, you know, as a student and you got it on ESPN. It's just that much easier. It's that much, you know, uh, to get that exposure. So again, I just think it is absolutely uh, important. And just to correct myself here, if I can pull this up here pretty quickly, I'm going through all the records. Come on, come on, Wikipedia. While you're doing that, one to piggyback off of what you were saying about you know uh, increasing viewership across all sports, I really want to know what the effect that the uh, current Big Sky Media deal has had yeah, on that yeah. conference because they have gone. I be- I believe they've they've gone to all the games are on ESPN networks or, or ESPN Plus and. The enrollments there are, you know, significantly smaller than than conference yes. USA, it, it, yes. especially maybe not like Sam Houston State and Jacksonville State, but um, but you know, if if that can have a dramatic effect and, and build the brand for programs like Sacramento State and Eastern Washington, then it can certainly have a pretty dramatic effect for you know New Mexico State, Liberty, and and everybody else that's that's coming into this league and and staying in the league as well. Joe, I completely agree. Just to to correct my my note there, 2018 was when that league the the game started being broadcast on CBS Sports Network. But you go back prior, you know, 2017 was on ESPN two. Prior to that, you got an ESPN um, when Western Kentucky went back to back ESPN two ESPN. Joe, how about this? Even in 2011. Uh, you had a top 25 matchup when Houston, of course, the year under Tom Herman, mm-hmm. uh, went to number seven in the nation and. Um, uh, Southern Miss was ranked number 24. That game was on ABC, right? So, you know, or sorry, that was Kevin Sumlin. I said Tom Herman or Kevin Sumlin, my mistake. But yeah, that game was on ABC. So even that in itself, definitely the eyeballs and exposure are something you um you really need as a league. And I'll be interested to see going forward how they're able to capitalize on that. Yeah, absolutely. I know we got the NFL draft coming up and I'm bummed we're not going to get to do like our mega episode that we usually do, but I know we wanted to kind of make mention of some of the stuff we're looking for uh, in that regard as far as CUSA draft prospects coming up. So Eric, for me, I think Jordan Ferguson's definitely in there. I think he could make somebody very happy as far as creating more depth as a, as a pass rusher, as an edge guy. So, I mean, I think that's, that's definitely the the biggest one, you know, for a minute there, it seemed like Austin Reed was definitely bolstering his, uh, his, his resume, but it looks like he's coming back as well. Um, or he's coming back for, for another year of college. As far as other guys, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this year's uh, talent pool coming out of conference USA? Yeah, I mean, you touched on a lot of the guys. I think the main one that I am keeping my eye on, or main two, of course, Dwayne McBride from UAB. That, oh, that, yes. You know, of course, is 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 someone who, with Dwayne, I think the comparisons to Spencer Brown are natural because obviously they both played at UAB, but that's really where they end, and here's why. Spencer Brown took a lot of carries, as we know, you know, a lot of carries over four seasons. Dwayne McBride, leaving after his junior year. And you got to remember, he backed up Spencer Brown for his first few years. So doesn't have quite the tread um, that, uh, you know, of course, running backs, you got kind of got that carry meter. So that's something to keep an eye on. When you take a look 
uh, some of the other guys. It, it, I'm going to consider him a CUSA guy because, you know, he played his last year in Conference USA. Uh, that would be Grant DeBose. Um, and now, as we're taping this, it, it's interesting. The USL is that the USL, the USFL has actually mm-hmm. connected their draft. They did it on Tuesday and they've chosen some CUSA players, one of them being Grant DeBose. Um, there's another one that's escaping me right now. I have to look that up, but uh, I don't think Grant DeBose is going to be playing in the USFL. Like, I, I fully believe that Grant DeBose will be uh, an NFL selection, especially once he has his pro day. Um, he's mm-hmm. a big time prospect. I, I expect him to be chosen as well. So, yeah, I mean, those are really the kind of the, the two guys that I think, uh, as far as, you know, kind of keeping my eye on it, as, as far as, you know, guys who could really have a legit shot to be drafted. Um, those are the two I'm keeping my eye on. Dubose especially, I didn't really expect him to come out early just because, you know, Charlotte didn't really have a great year. He, ha- I don't think he's really gotten to show what he can completely fully do um, given the issues that they had as a team this year. But, I mean, if you look at his measurements, he's 6'3", 200 pounds, Really good wingspan. Um, obviously has the leaping ability fast, definitely falls into what you know, kind of uh what kind of body type and what kind of skill set you want at a, at the flanker, that primary receiver uh position that a lot of the NFL teams uh run there. I think he's ready. I think it's interesting that he made the decision to come out when he did, because again, I think his you know, his statistical resume could have been bolstered, but absolutely has the body type and the physical skill set to be someone who can contribute within their first few years in the league here. No doubt about it. I mean, when you look at Grant DeBose, part of the reason why, you know, I mean, I'm a big Vic Tucker guy, as everyone knows, but part of the reason why Grant DeBose kind of eclipsed him as far as being a draft prospect is just sheer size, 6'2", 220. If you've ever been around Grant DeBose and, and you know, I've seen him in person. Uh, Joe, it, it, who came for Charlotte? No, Chris Reynolds. Chris Reynolds, sorry. Mm-hmm. So it was not Grant mm-hmm. DeBose. Um, if you ever see him in person, I mean, just a specimen. So most doubt, of, no, no doubt about it, most definitely an NFL body. Demario Douglas at receiver is interesting from Liberty. Um, he's another guy who has some some really intriguing physical tools. I, you know, I don't know if he's one of those guys that really jumps off the page when you look at the other receivers that are in this class, um, but certainly had a decent college career. They're playing for Hugh Freeze. Who else is in this as far as CUSA talent? You know, I think. You know, I think Ferguson's the only other one that I mentioned that uh, is is the guy that's really going to be able to make an immediate impact, at least based on what I saw from him in college. But we'll see. Well, Joe, if you are um, taking into account players who uh, are coming in from you know the the new teams, uh, Chris yeah. Ojo uh, from New Mexico State. Uh, and, and I know I probably butchered the pronunciation of his last name, but I had a chance to see him play this year when FIU went to New Mexico State. Uh, he's a, a definitely a solid prospect. I'm trying to remember where he transferred in from. I want to say it was Nevada, but he's a kid who had 100 and I believe like 115 tackles, uh, had a huge tackle for loss, uh, like something like. 28 or 29 in his two seasons at New Mexico State and 11 sacks. So he's got to keep an eye on. Uh, a bit smaller, like 6'1", 220. You know, and, and I say smaller in the sense that, you know, for someone who, when you mention the tackles for loss and sacks, you're thinking someone's going to play like behind the line of scrimmage uh, and make plays against a quarterback. He's not like an Alex Highsmith type size, you know, 6'4", or 6'5", pass rusher type, but he's still going to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eastern Washington is who you're thinking of. He is a uh, Nigerian kid out of Sunland, California, where he played his high school ball. But yeah, I can definitely see how some uh, some pro teams would be interested in what he brings to the table. No doubt. 
All right. For this next segment, we are diving into some Sunbelt stuff with one half of the current iteration of the Sunbelt podcast, Mr. Zeke Palermo. And uh, Zeke, you know, it was a wild year in the Sunbelt. We saw uh, Troy really surprise everybody and win that title. We saw Georgia Southern uh, really adapt to what they were doing under Clay Helton with throwing the ball, you know, 50, 60 times a game, uh, much faster than I think a lot of people anticipated. And, you know, Coastal Carolina was just an, an emotional roller coaster from start to finish. So, I mean, what'd you think of this season? Uh, this was a really fun season. Uh, as you mentioned, there, uh, Troy surprised, I think, not just those in Sunbelt communities, but those across college football, uh, how well they performed and uh, you know, went out and won their bowl game and proved they were probably, uh, you know, among the top of the group of five teams uh, in the country. But um, my biggest takeaway was that uh, it's really volatile in this conference. Um, as you and I were talking about earlier before before I hopped on here, um, uh, I haven't been around as long as some of the other folks, but I, I learned about the volatility uh, of this conference this year. I mean, James Madison came in in their first season in the FBS and absolutely knocked it out of the park, whereas Southern, as you mentioned, Georgia Southern, uh, under a brand-new head coach, went 6-6, six and six, went to a bowl game for the first time in a few years. Uh, and we look at teams that last year uh, would have been the cream of the crop, uh, namely App State kind of fell into mediocrity, and I, I think that was kind of the most interesting thing for me coming out of this season. Yeah, you mentioned App State not really living up to a lot of people's expectations. I mean, you know, was it just like the tough schedule? Because obviously they they had some good moments this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, they they played some really good opponents. Uh, and I, I don't think anyone's going to ever forget that uh, week one game against North Carolina uh, where uh, they had the chance to win it uh, in overtime and lost that final score being 63-61. That was absolutely astounding. But, I mean, they won out, went out and won some big games, Texas A&M being one, uh, obviously beat Troy, but uh, they were incapable of beating su- inferior teams within the conference uh, comes to mind Marshall and, and Su- Georgia Southern. Uh, I think they lost to Texas state as well. It was just a team that was incapable of winning the games that, that they really should have been able to uh, because if you know, you get three more wins, you're nine and three and you're probably going, uh, going to the, uh, the playoffs or rather the the conference playoffs not the uh, CFP. Right. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the playoff expansion coming up here and that's going to get here sooner than we think. Do you think the Sun Belt, you know, let me back up. I think a lot of people would have said that the Sun Belt was kind of a front runner for, you know, a New Year's 6 berth at the at the early part of this year and then Tulane came in and and did what they did and and took that spot. You know, do you think that the Sun Belt is uh, the front runner to get that playoff berth when the uh, top G five team becomes eligible in, in 2023, I think, or 2024 uh, rather. Yeah, I think so. I've been saying since I joined, uh, since I joined the site, since I, I started covering G five football, I, I've mm-hmm. been saying that I think the Sun Belt is the sixth power. Uh, and, and, you know, it looks like with the downfall of the PAC 12, maybe, maybe within the coming, you know, five years or so, they move into that fifth spot. Um, although the discrepancy would be large, I, I like uh, the Sun Belt because I, I think on any given year they've got three or four teams that are capable of finishing within the top twenty. You know, not just the top, the fringes of the top twenty-five, but within the top twenty. Uh, we saw that obviously this year with Troy. Um, over the past couple of years, it's been Coastal Carolina. Not sure how that will look uh, with Chadwell moving to Liberty, um, but then. On top of that, you've got uh, James Madison, who, again, uh, I mentioned again, I mean, just absolutely stunned 
the world with how well they played uh, in their first season in the FBS. So what, what I think about the Sun Belt, what I think is unique about the Sun Belt is that they, they've got, you know, three, four to five teams on any given year that are going to win seven or eight games or are capable of winning seven to eight games. And so I think when uh, we do see these expanded playoffs, they there should always be at least one team from that conference in the playoffs. How close is Georgia State to being one of those teams, you think? You know, last by the end of last year, I would have said one of uh, they were in the running. They were very close, but this offseason has been absolutely miserable for them. Uh, lost a ton of their their players, lost, I believe, both of their coordinators, uh, just uh, moving to other programs. And so it's it's been a really poor offseason for Georgia State. And obviously last season play, uh, finished below 500 as well. So uh, I, I think Georgia State's, you know, they're in a – the beginning of the end of the Sean Sean Elliott era, which is disappointing to me personally, but uh, so I, I don't think they're in that conversation quite yet. As far as NFL prospects this year from the Sun Belt, who are you paying attention to as far as the combine and the draft coming up in, in a couple of months? Um, honestly, uh, the Sun Belt's not putting many guys uh, into the first two days. I'm sure we'll see a good handful move on day three. Uh, one of those being Carlton Marshall. Uh, College football fans will know his name. Uh, all-time tackles leader. I think with an accolade like that, and admittedly he played six years, uh, it's hard to l- look over him, uh, although what worries me is his size. He's only about 5'10". Um, I think the guy that will be drafted the highest is uh, Coastal Carolina's uh, defensive lineman, Gerard Clark. I, th- I think he's got uh, a potential to be a true nose guard uh, in the NFL. Um, but I also want to bring attention to Chase Bryce, who – Probably won't be taken in the NFL, but he was just selected in the USFL draft. Uh, and, you know, hopefully he can uh, make some waves there and hopefully eventually move up uh, from the USFL to some sort of practice squad and eventually the NFL. What do you think of Grayson McCall's decision to come back for another year? I know he is uh, he's still figuring it out, but, you mm-hmm. know, it seems like he would have been one of the top quarterback prospects in last year's class had he just not decided to return to Coastal Carolina. But, you know, obviously with this uh, this past year, that changed things a bit. Yeah, I, I, I think it was an interesting decision because the, there were three options, right? It was, or I guess four, there were four options. Follow Chadwell to Liberty, find another, you know, elite G5 or, you know, mid-level P5 team to to take over go to the draft or or stay coastal carolina and uh i said on one of our episodes with brian that I, I thought the most beneficial for him would be to stay at coastal because i i i do believe in continuity being very important for quarterbacks uh for any skill position where you have to learn an offense i, I think continuity is incredibly important and obviously uh there's the coaching changes that uh work against that idea of continuity but uh, I think in terms of, you know, raising his draft stock back up the boards, uh, you know, you look at him today, he's probably a, a second, third rounder uh, at best, whereas we could have had the conversation after the 2021 season that he could be a fringe first rounder. I think the best uh, course of action to re-raise his draft stock was to stay at Coastal, um, you know, limit any external factors, those being, you know, change of scenery, change of personnel. Again, losing uh, coordinators and head coaches as he did, you still got the same trainers, you still got the same, you know, uh, quarterbacks, coach, whatnot. And I think that was the best for him if he wants to play in the NFL. 
last question for you, Zeke. I know you've been on here for about six months or so. This was your first uh, season as a host of one of the underdog podcasts with us. Uh, what do you think was your favorite thing about getting to, to do this with Brian over the last uh, six months or so? I honestly had a, had a blast just talking with Brian on a weekly basis about Sunbelt football. Uh, I, I think it's no secret that you've got to be in certain groups, certain social groups in order to have even low level conversations about group of five football and we all three of us here and everyone on the site is in a in a unique space uh where where they're someone that's in heavily invested in group of five football and so to have brian on a week-to-week basis to talk about that the games that i was watching and the players that i was seeing you know in, in a in a uh, in a verbal manner as opposed to just tweeting about it or writing a story was an incredible experience and meant a lot because it, it, it helped validate my interest in the group of five. And um, I, I hope he feels the same way. He, he was an incredible, uh, I know he's been doing it for a couple of years. He was, he was incredible. Uh, he, he welcomed me in with open arms. We had a great time and I'm uh, sorry to see it go, but that's the way it rolls sometimes. Zeke Palermo at Zeke Palermo on Twitter. What are you working on this off season? What do you want people to know about? You know, right now, uh, just sorting through off-season things. Uh, I'll, I'll concede I haven't gotten anything out um, with regards to Georgia State's off-season, but there, there have been a ton, a ton of moving parts. Uh, a lot of things to watch for. Spring football is coming up very, very quickly, um, and, and uh, I hope to be able to go watch their their spring game uh, to get some firsthand um, thoughts and opinions from both other reporters and, and the coaching staff on where this team is going with all these changes. Excellent. Going to be an interesting uh, evolution of Georgia State football for sure. And as the Sun Belt continues to change, I know we're going to pay attention to your coverage, Zeke. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks so much for doing uh, this show as part of our little project the last uh, six months here. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, jumping into some more fun memories with uh, the original Joe Talk, Joe Broback, who is now working on some college football stuff for College Football Network and uh, Pro Football Network, and Joe Serpico uh, doing some fantasy football writing out in Baltimore, Maryland. And we're going to jump into it with these guys. It's so glad to have you, uh, or it's so good, rather, to have you guys back and kind of reminisce about the early days of the pod and, and when you two were working together on a regular basis. Joe Talk is back. Yep, that's pretty much how I was going to start it off, too. It's good to have Joe talk back at least one more time, uh, reminisce the good old days of the uh, AAC. We were kind of just talking about the the new realignment. has got some things that me and Broback aren't too happy about, but I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. <laughs> Not too happy with the new look AAC and uh, the CUSA teams taking, uh, taking place in there. Yeah, I mean, right? for me, as a Temple guy, you know, Temple's going to be the most – north located program at all them, you know that's going to be when you got to take those hikes it was already a hike to get to smu now you got to go to north texas right to tsa you know so those end up being you know kind of long uh, travel days for them and even as a whole i mean if you think about it you know, we got navy and then charlotte and then you're, you're you're in the south so that's part of it and then the the loss of let's face you know i know tulane just won the american but with ucf houston and cincy on the way out you know let's just face it they would have probably the top three teams since the American uh, was founded. So it's kind of sad to see them on the way out. Yeah. It's, it's weird to see the, uh, the new shape of the league, I guess, like other than like 
obviously there's new teams, a lot of new faces. What do you think? What do you guys think is like the biggest difference between the AAC when you guys started doing the show back in, you know, 2017, whatever it was. And now. I think the biggest thing has to be like, what's, what's the ceiling going to be for this new AAC team or this conference? Because you look at the three teams that are leaving Houston and UCF and Cincinnati all at one point brought this conference to new heights and I, I don't know if you have that same firepower in the new AAC. I think, you know, when we brought Oresco on, when we were doing it, he was talking about, you know, this whole power six movement. And for the most part, it was this like just this advertising grab, this marketing attention seeking ploy to kind of get people to pay attention to them. And ultimately it worked because Cincinnati gets into the playoff. But I think that you're you're losing some of that that firepower that you had at the top. I think that this will still be a pretty entertaining conference as much as I like to bash the teams coming in. You know, I think UTSA has a real chance to compete for a conference title in their first year, but you're, you also have to take into account that some of those top teams are gone now. Yeah. For me, you know, Joe touched on that interview that we had with Mike Oresco. And I, the one thing that I remember, and I'm sure uh, Broback remembers as well from that is, you know, we always used to lead in the show where we say, you know, we talk G5 football and only G5 football. Uh, and, you know, he was quick to, to kind of snap back at us about the whole P6 movement. You know, he was really at the time making that push. And then I remember when at that time that me and Joe were doing the podcast together, that was when Joe and I were pushing for college football playoff expansion. And we were pushing for a G5 team to make it to the college football playoff. And, you know, the beauty of it is we've gotten to see all that. You know, it's kind of played out that way. But it, like Joe kind of said, you know, it's kind of sucks that we're losing your top three teams. And then that's just not a football thing, too. I mean, UCF's basketball team is, you know, so-so. But losing Cincinnati and Houston on the basketball side, that's a huge blow for the conference as well. Um, so, yeah, just it's kind of, you know, it's good to see new things. I mean, we all knew that realignment was eventually going to happen. But, um it's going to take some time, at least for me, like I said, to get used to seeing all all this influx at the same time when you have, again, three teams on the way out. You mentioned Mike Oresco. You boys had him on Joe Talk back in 2018. I guess uh, kind of describe what it was like getting to to bring him on the show and, you know, how that episode kind of dictated what you guys did with it moving forward. I think it was good to to get him on just for, I mean, for both of us, it was kind of like that next step that you take, you know, talking to each other is one thing, but getting a guest on like that, who is directly related to the conference was huge. And I think it was good for them too, because Oresco wanted to push power six as much as possible. And I think at that point he was trying to get it out anywhere and everywhere that he could. And so it was just kind of like a, a, good coincidence almost that we were trying to do that and he's trying to push his movement as well um it was it was interesting to me because i think it was more like a sales job than anything like he was just being a good salesman uh because i don't know if he ever envisioned what just happened to his conference when he started power six uh, because i don't think power six was supposed to be oh we're gonna basically just build teams to join other conferences. I think that he wanted to build this conference into something special. And 
while I will say that, you know, the top of the conference had the potential to compete with power five schools, the the depth never really was there. So like the power six movement was just really more like we're going to build one team into a really good team. And then we're going to make some noise in the new year's six game. But I, I didn't, I don't know if I ever believed even during the peak of power six that it was going to turn into power six, but it was still fun during the time because then you had like the UCF 2017, 2018. So I think it was just like a fun era to be a part of and to kind of have a piece of that, to talk to the guy that was kind of driving that movement was pretty fun. Yeah. I have to second that. And the one thing I also remember us kind of vividly talking about as well was that the American was getting ready to sign a new media deal at the time. And that was a big deal considering at the time we did have those three teams that we're talking about. And, you know, let's face it, those three markets were some of the biggest ones in the American. That's the whole reason the American was pretty much built on having some of the biggest markets that they could find. Um, So yeah, when it was came to the media deal, I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. And then like Joe kind of was just talking about, it was, Definitely a sales pitch, you know, trying to get the message out there about the P6. And I believe he was our first guest ever. I think after that is when we started to make guests kind of a regular thing. But leading up to that, you know, we kind of uh, we had our old uh, managing editor, Cyrus, reach out. It kind of happened. I think, honestly, I don't know about Brobeck, but I was pretty surprised when he said yes. Not going to lie. But, yeah, it was definitely one of those learning experiences. And. It's kind of been good to see over time, you know, the the highs of what we see, like Cincinnati making the, uh, you know, the playoff. But I, you know, we're heading into, I guess, what would be a, a little bit of a low with those teams on the way out. And, you know, five teams that, let's face it, they're not the same level of competition and what's uh, what's exiting right now. I mean, it's tough to argue, and Eric, feel free to, to jump in on, on this topic as well, but I think it says a lot about the AAC that when, you know, it's a, it's a, a league that other G5 teams strive to get into at this point, right? I said say so. Yeah, yeah I'd have to agree as well. Eric. Yeah, it is the six. Uh, you, I mean, <laughs> I think until, you know, until the, we could completely kill off the six, I think – there will always be that that next tier, and then I think you get to the other conferences. Well, I mean, what I was going to add to that, boys, is I, it's interesting because I do agree that the American right now in, in in its current incarnation is probably still the top group of five league. However, and Broback and Serpico both kind of touched on this, I don't think Mike Oresco's plan, and I mean, listen, maybe he is just smarter than I, I'm giving him credit for. Not that I'm a Mike Oresco basher, but I, I don't think you plan this out. It doesn't really do any any good for your league to build up programs only to see them leave, right? I mean, sure, yes, the notoriety and attention that a UCF or Cincinnati or you know, even Houston brought to the league, um, it, it, that that is does you know wonders. But does it offset, you know, the fact that they end up leaving and then you're having to replace them with no disrespect? And we can talk about this maybe a little bit later on, but teams are coming in like a Rice, for example, that is a very good academic school, but even all around in sports is kind of so-so. 
you look at North Texas and UTSA and FAU, some of the programs coming in as far as football, they offer that. Now, of course, FAU is having a really good basketball season and they have a really good coach here in Dusty Mace. So we'll see maybe if they can ascend. But as, as Broback talked about, you know, they're, they're losing some basketball powers. I don't think you prep for that. So I, I'll kind of toss to you. I mean, uh, Joe Londrigan, I'll, I'll toss to you on this and you can open up the Serpico and Broback. Yeah. Uh, the Sun Belt, in terms of a football league, Listen, guys, I, I've been open and honest that, I mean, I do think that there's an aspect of this new American that is AACUSA light. You know, I mean, that is mm-hmm. something that as, you know, maybe with the additional funds that these six teams coming in or um, will receive can build up. But I think it's a little bit closer um, when you look at the death of the Sun Belt and, and you know, some of the notoriety that they've had in, in terms of the league. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say it's as far and away the best G5 league as it was before. I still think it is, but I think that gap is is narrowing, Joe, uh, Joe Lonergan. I mean, certainly makes sense. I mean, in terms of football, like specifically, obviously, the Sun Belt is making some really good strides there. And yeah, I, I mean, I agree with the, the CUSA, AAC light idea. I wouldn't phrase it exactly like that, but at the end of the day, it's the best CUSA football programs for the most part, with a few exceptions. Um, you know, I think you could, you would obviously put like Western Kentucky in there, but obviously the teams that are coming in, I just did this. I just wrote this article like last week, but I think teams that are making this change have won the league four out of the last six times. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's more or less the best of CUSA with, what's left of the AAC after Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati are making the move to the Big 12 here. Broback, you agree with that? Yeah, I think for the most part, I agree. I I, I think there's, I think what Eric was saying, maybe there's there's more depth in this conference where the teams top to bottom are a little bit more even. And, and I agree that I was going to say too that the, the gap is shrinking. Uh, and I th- I think that you throw, Eric mentioned the Sun Belt, but I think you also have to throw in Mountain West there. Uh, I think that they've been right behind sure. AAC for a while. And then Sunbelt has kind of been more of a recent run. Uh, so I'd, I guess I'd be curious because personally I would go, I would still have AAC as the top group of five. And then I actually would go Mountain West next and then Sunbelt. I don't think that there's a huge gap with any of those three, but I'd be curious to see how you guys rank those three. I'll piggyback off the throwback. And I agree with basically his rankings there. And with the whole notion that, yeah, the the American is definitely a lot more even now with the addition of these teams. I don't think you, for any sport, really, you can just say, okay, this is your uh, your clear winner heading into a year. You know, like like we talked about, you know, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, pretty much every year since the American's been around, you can kind of put them you know, somewhere in those top three, uh, all three of those programs probably within the exception, you know, again, Tulane this year, a couple of times, uh, my alma mater temple got up there, but for the most part, it's been those three teams. So it definitely opens the opportunity for, you know, some of the others that have been in this uh, conference, let's say like ECU maybe can make a run or even some of these new additions that weren't necessarily making a run over in uh, conference USA with the way things have kind of balanced out right now. I think it absolutely is uh, top to bottom. You know, in certain sports, it's definitely uh, stronger. 
but I just think kind of like we said before, the, you know, it's not as top heavy and you don't have the marquee names that we once had in the conference. Yeah, I think that's fair. Switching gears a little bit, we we've been reminiscing a lot about, you know, kind of the early days of of the show. And when we talked to, you know, Cyrus and Jared, um, we were talking about, you know, how they kind of came up with it and how they kind of started splitting it into, you know, the three different leagues that fall under the underdog dynasty banner. And, you know, I think Broback, you came on first, I guess. How did that, you know, conversation kind of start between you and and those guys? Yeah, I, I think uh Underdark Dynasty will always be special to me because this is where I got my my start really into actually covering college football uh, and anything that Jared and Cyrus uh, put me through that uh, they offered. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And uh, I I don't know. I just so much has changed since then. And uh, I don't know. It's just crazy to think that we're at this point. And Joe Talk is come and gone, and the conference has changed much. The real life, like there's just so many things that are different. Um, so it, I don't know. It's I don't know, it's just really cool to see how um, things have changed. And Jared, Jared, and Cyrus, and even I believe Kayla was the manager before them. Kind of got me in there. Um, it, they were just trying to grow it as much as possible. And so at really any opportunity they had to add something, whether it was a podcast, whether it was a different series of articles, I I think that they did a great job of just trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what would stick right away. And then when they found something that worked, they've kind of honed in on that. And the podcast was honestly one of the biggest ones. Yeah, absolutely. And then they they brought in uh, Joe, they brought in you pretty shortly after they kind of tossed the, the AAC reins to, to Broback, right? Or am I remembering that incorrectly? Yeah, I think uh, we may have even started it together. I'm not 100% certain about that. But I, I know that when we first started, you know, we weren't even being backed by SB Nation at the time. It was just something that we were kind of just doing on our own. Yeah. Uh, just to get content out there, you know, podcasts at that time. Uh, I don't want to say we're new, but they weren't as, you know, I feel like everybody and their mom right now has a podcast. Uh, you know, we were kind of just getting into that. And, you know, it was nice because we were one of the few, you know, sites out there that was strictly focused on the group of five. You know, there was, you know, we've had the guys on from um, down it, and I'm blanking on the, you know, the Houston podcast. We've had the Tulane guys podcast, you know, a bunch of team specific ones, but you weren't really finding any that were, you know, conference specific. And the beauty of us having the three conferences was, you know, we were able to do multiple podcasts because, I mean, it would have been a little bit wild if we tried to stick all the news of uh, all three conferences in one. But so when me and Joe got together to do it, it was, you know, Instantly, Joe and I got along. It kind of uh, took took off, probably bigger than I uh, definitely bigger than I thought it was going to be. Uh, like we said before, you know, to get the commissioner of the conference on, I, that's a pretty big deal. And then, like I said before, we we got other uh, people on as well. So it it was a lot of fun. It's crazy to see how things have changed. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun over the years being able to talk about my alma mater once again. Uh, now that I'm in Baltimore, I don't get to do that as much. So it was all in all, probably one of them, like Joe said before, definitely 100% thankful to Jared and Cyrus for bringing me on as well. 
and getting to talk about you know, my alma mater, which let's face it, outside of uh, the Temple News, which was a paper I wrote for in college, they're not getting a whole lot of cover. So, you know, just all around one of the best times I've had. And it was always fun to talk with Joe just because it was just, again, it was one, you get two Joes talking together and two, you know, two guys that know what the heck they were talking about as well. <laughs> that's that's interesting that you know we were talking about the dynamics as well what was your all's first impression of each other when you first started recording together oh this man guy's, this guy's crazy that he wants to live up there with all that snow <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i had a first impression i just like to me it's it's uh it comes down to like do you want to talk ball or are you just trying to make a buck and i think that when you're starting out it's really just, I mean, you're not making, I mean, we weren't making any money at the time. So it was, it was literally just yeah. the passion of talking about college football. And to me, when people say that they love college football, I think a majority of them just love power five football. And in even larger majority, probably only like teams that are competing for a national championship. I don't think a lot of people truly love college football because they only like a specific part of it. Um, I think they like the idea of college football as a whole, but I think that if you're a truly a fanatic of of the sport, you're watching every single conference and you're watching every single team paying attention to what's going on. And that includes the smaller schools. And I think at the time when we started, it was I mean, we didn't know that UCF was going to get to a point where they could claim a national championship. We never expected Cincinnati to make the playoff. And we didn't really care. We were talking about college football and it was, I don't know. I think my first impression was this guy wants to talk about something that I'm passionate about and he's passionate about it. And, and that's really all I needed. Yeah. Likewise. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy. I mean, you could probably say this, all four of us could say this when you, you know, you meet somebody out of the bar or, you know, a friend of a friend and you just start talking sports and then it just keeps going. You know, you can definitely tell when you're talking to somebody that knows what you're talking about. And that was the beauty with Joe. It was almost like an instant click. You know, we obviously had, you know, the two of us having the same name that obviously we, you know, we used that to our advantage as much as we could. Um, but it was just all in all, like Joe was a great guy. It was easy to work with. You know, we, we always worked around each other's schedules and whatnot. And I absolutely uh, enjoyed working with him. And, you know, some of the other fun things, like Joe was kind of saying, everybody kind of, focuses on the power five. And the other thing that I, you know, other than the podcast was the favorite thing that I've done over the years on underdog dynasty was the G five betting article, because if you go out there, you know, you type in Google search, you know, college football against the spread picks, you're going to find hundreds of articles for the power five, but you almost never ever saw, maybe saw one game, two games, but you didn't see something that was exclusive to the group of five. And that's why I like doing it. That's why, you know, that was the whole thing was five bets inside the group of five. Um, and I absolutely enjoyed doing it and hopefully people who read that did as well. And hopefully they want some money on that too, because over the years, I'm not going to say I didn't do too bad over the years. There you go. You were, uh, you had the real degenerates in mind and we thank you for it, Joe. <laughs> oh, and I'm one of them still to this day though. Nothing's going to change. Hey, right? nothing, now that those betting apps are, uh, even more accessible. I think uh, it's gotten worse. So let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Joe worse or life, baby. <laughs> What'd you say, Joe? The Joe talk for life, baby. It never ends. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, so what are you guys working on now that you want folks to uh, pay attention to? 
Uh, I'm, uh, you know, as Joe Lonergan mentioned, I am writing for College Football Network, Pro Football Network. Um, I have my own YouTube channel. Just look up my name. Uh, that, that's pretty much it outside of taking care of a uh, two and a half year old. Those are pretty much my primary duties. That's that's a lot of work there in itself. I, I know. Um, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm writing for a, a local publication in Baltimore called Press Box uh, Online. I am doing some fantasy football writing for them. Uh, now that the fantasy football season has come to an end, I am doing uh, NFL draft coverage. So that kind of gets to uh, intertwine a little bit with some of my stuff with the uh, underdog dynasty back in the day. I will always uh, kind of give a little added bump up to guys that are in American or the, or the G five as a whole, just so that they can get some more exposure. But yeah, those are kind of, uh, kind of the two things I'm doing now. It's uh, even just kind of touch on, you know, it's kind of weird with me and Joe, we're talking about all these players back in the day. We've, you know, we had huge man crush on Ed Oliver. Um, yeah, we see what he's doing in the NFL now. And then for me, Kenny Gamewell as an Eagles fan in the playoffs. So it's just, it's just been so much fun to see a lot of these guys, not only, you know, watch the college football, but now you see them go to the next level. And uh, that's the beauty of getting to do this draft stuff with press box. Awesome. I know we're all really paying attention to uh, the draft stuff now. I hopefully we can do more of that on underdog as we get closer to the actual draft. Uh, Eric, you got anything for these guys before we let them get back, uh, get them back to babysitting and, uh, and gambling. No, I mean, again, I think these guys pretty much covered the gamut of all of our, you know, feelings and thoughts about, you know, why we are uh, joined UDD and what we loved about it. I just want to quickly correct one thing. Joe Broback is rarely uh, misspeaks, but he, he did say um, to the point where UCF could claim a national championship um, <laughs> that the Knights were awarded a national championship, which they then claimed, but it was awarded to the Knights first. Um, UCF did not, you know, claim a, a you know, fictional national championship. Um, just man, you're going to get me on a technicality, yeah. man. Right. Come on. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> you, you and Dan can just go and have your own little UCF party because th- that's exempt. That's essentially what happened when we recorded with him for this, for this type of show. Oh man, Eric. Uh, I do. Yes. It just, it just hit me, but I know Joe and I would definitely like to thank all the USF fans that gave us a hard time over the years. That was definitely an enjoyable time on the podcast as well. (laughs) And uh, they're still giving us a hard time to this day, I think. (laughs) Not surprising, man. Oh, man. Joe Broback, Joe Serpico. Can't thank you enough for all the work you put into the Underdog Podcast over the years. And uh, I know we're going to see more of you guys on the uh, college football circuit in years to come. Thanks, guys. Thanks again. Dan Morrison, Emily Van Buskirk. I know you guys have been doing the show together for a couple of years. Um, how much do you hate each other now? And you know what? Uh, <laughs> how did it go so wrong? Oh, the time zones are what went wrong for me. <laughs> right? Because I, well, no, uh, I don't think we hate each other yet. Right? Have no. to, go, we never met in person to hate each other. Right? Oh, that's true. We still haven't met in person. That's wild. And that is odd. I mean, how long did it take for you and Eric to meet in person? A long uh, time. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely a long yeah. time. We just met in person at CUSA Media Days this past summer, and we've been doing mm-hmm. the pod together since 
2017, I think. Yeah. So, but like, we're excused. We're excused. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, it's weird. Like, even I forget that sometimes that like, we're not like physically in like a workspace together because obviously you two have like the chemistry that you've built up over doing the show for Mm -hmm. however many years at this point. Like, how did that go for you all? Cause like when Eric and I started figuring out how we were going to move forward with the AAC podcast after um, Joe Broback left, uh, I was like, I know I was like, let's get Emily Van Buskirk in here and pair with Dan Morrison and Dan and Eric rather was like, how do you think that's going to go? And I was like, it's going to be great. <laughs> and I yeah, think I, was I remember him saying that to me. Cause he was like, Oh, well you can come do this. Like, I don't really know, you know how you and Dan are going to be together, but like, we'll see. And he just kind of threw that out there. And I was like, Oh, Okay, I get along with pretty much everybody. I mean, you would really have to like burn me for me to not find some common ground and like you, you know. So yeah, yeah. I I know Eric would call us like the odd couple from time to time. And I never a hundred percent. I was like, I don't know what we're doing. That's so like odd couple. But we are different. We're like, different. Sure, sure, undeniably yeah. true. But like that doesn't mean yes. that we're not. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Emily. Go ahead. Emily. No, no, you. I want to hear your observation. I think I think that came from when Dan and uh, Broback were doing the show together. Broback also has a very bubbly, I'm from Minnesota type of energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, w- he was always like, here's what I love about life today. And Dan was like, au contraire. I hate like, everything. Like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I think we're going to get a really similar energy from Van Buskirk Yeah, bring her in. I think that's right. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be a cynic. You just Jerry. are. You're but just from you Massachusetts. Know. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm being honest. Life is shitty. <laughs> oh my god. I think it's more some your mentality towards certain teams. What you mean? That aren't UCF or UMass. Well, I know UMass. <laughs> I my mentality towards teams has always been fair. Always been fair. What? I've never been unfair. I'm always right. <laughs> and I'm always right. You were always, I will say you will go down at least in our time as um, the record winner for predictions. So that's true. Yeah. But that's, yeah. you know, that's in large part to you being smart, but also me taking huge risks because I'm a Leo and crazy yeah. and I just like chaos. So, okay. yeah, I mean, you definitely gambled a little bit more on our picks, but mm-hmm. I also knew what I was talking about when I said, hey, USF stinks. Don't pick them. Mm. Yeah, but don't you ever want to believe in things that are like, you know. I believe that USF stinks. Oh my God. Do you want joy. to believe in good things sometimes? I believed in Tulane like, hardcore this year. That's, Hard, that's hardcore okay. Tulane believer. That doesn't, you don't get any points for that. Everybody believed in Tulane this year. Nobody believed in them last year. Did you believe in them last year? No, because they went two and ten. <laughs> right. See what happens, Dan. If you believe, you'll never be let down ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. This is how I live my life. <laughs> Not sure. Uh, about that. Like when you two think about like some of the stories and teams you had to cover, like what what sticks out as like the most significant for you two? Oh. Emily first, go. Me? Yeah. Uh, I think I one of the best experiences 
this year was being able to see both UCF Tulane games almost back to back. And like the, I felt personally when, cause we've covered this conference for a while now, but those two games and the way they ended up were kind of like indicative of the conference and like what these teams strive to be. Um, and it was just interesting to see the juxtaposition of coaches, the the style of play and the coaching and, and the fan bases are, are very different. And so kind of getting to be at both of those games in those environments, you know, almost in back-to-back weeks, that was the craziest like group of five experience, I think, that I've ever had. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you've been lucky enough to just cover games in person a little lot, a bit more than I do as a rule. <laughs> we have a different style with that at least. Yes. Uh, now, I get really interested a lot of times by the off-field stuff, too. Uh, I think in a way that you don't always. Like, conference realignment for me is always incredibly fun to speculate about and talk about and get into the rumors of. I'm still doing it. Just fun, like, ooh, SMU's going to the Pac-12, which SMU's going to the Pac-12. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, you know, stuff like that. You know, I love that stuff. That's what gives yeah. me a lot of energy. Yeah. Why is that, you think? Uh, because the Pac-12 is broke as <laughs> Why? I mean, like, oh, yeah. why, do you, why does the off-the-field stuff, like, energize I, you the way that it does? Uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting because it's a, you know, a lot of it's, like, kind of politics. A lot of it's kind of, you know, deals being made. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I love the games. And I love, obviously, watching football and all that stuff, too. But it's what gets me through the off-season. And you don't share that feeling, Emily? I don't love the same things that Dan loves in that. And I don't, I don't know that it's that he loves them or that he just has to love them. But like, especially for his other job, like he has to follow recruiting and he has to follow like news. So he'll always text. Me. I, One of the great things that's developed through the course of this podcast is that Dan will text me updates on anything relevant to our conference or anything that I'm interested in. Like if there's a fullback piece of news, I will get it from Dan in my text, like as soon as that happens. If there's like, he's like, oh, did you see this like transfer? Or, like this person's in the portal. And I don't pay attention to that stuff enough. So Dan has been very helpful and like nudged me in that direction to be more on top of, you know, the the strategic moves that are being made in college football, I guess. Yeah, I don't love the recruiting stuff, to be honest with you. I think it's I, – I do follow it pretty closely yes. for, my, for my stuff with On3 because it's a large part of what happens You have there, to. You know? Yeah, you have to. Um, I, don't, I don't love recruiting talk because I think it's kind of hit or miss, you know, whether or not it's real. Um, so like it's, where someone's going? Oh, not necessarily where someone's – or like don't how love, good they are? Yeah, how good they are is more what I was thinking about with that. I don't love like this, the this, yeah. following every little update of a 16-year-old's life. That's not my favorite thing in the world about this sport. Is that like kind of cult obsession of like, what's this 17-year-old doing? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's and then, yeah, I mean. It's especially and, weird for me as a female. So I just, sure. I kind of stay away from all that. Like I don't need to be following high school kids yeah. on Instagram. You know, it's just like not for me. Not in that life so yeah and then the rankings themselves they're more often than not correct but sometimes they're just complete misses in one way or the other so yeah always grain of salt because it's 
again, you don't know when a guy's going to randomly put on 50 pounds of muscle and stuff like that because look at Scooby Wright. Scooby Wright was a one star. Oh, now look I, at him. This year, the easiest example is Andre Carter, who is at Army and grew like five inches his freshman year. Yeah. That's like that happens. So I don't know. Recruiting doesn't get me through the offseason. Uh, Backroom dealings do. <laughs> Backroom dealings? You mean like? Oh, yeah. I mean like Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC out of the blue. Stuff uh, like that. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, I know I'll hear about it in my text from Dan before I see it on Twitter, which makes me happy. And I hope that continues, even though we will not be doing the podcast anymore. Yeah. <laughs> when you think over the last couple of years, like, what do you think was, uh, like, the rather, who was the best AAC player that you've seen that you've started co- since you've started covering the league? Like, Emily, I know you've gotten to see a lot of those guys in person. Dan, maybe not so much, but certainly you've watched a lot of film. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah, I know. I know you gave us this question, and that we're supposed to prep for it. But it's like I don't. They're like all my children, and they're all. Sure. There's a lot. There's a lot of really good players that have come out of this conference, yeah. and I don't really know. And they all have different skill sets mm-hmm. that are impressive in different ways. Like we watch someone like Al McCaskill, who is so explosive, incredible, and then we don't get to see him because he blows out his knee, right? Mm-hmm. And then. I mean, but I would pick a guy. I loved Holt Naylor's, as you guys know. I thought he was an incredible quarterback for ECU, and that was really fun to watch his journey there. And then you look mm-hmm. at a guy like Nick Anderson from Tulane, who's one of one of the scariest defensive players I've ever seen. Not necessarily imposing, but just very smart in the way that he plays on the field and almost like intuitive to, to mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, and then you see a play like Alec Haller catching that unbelievable pass against USF. It's like, I don't know how to pick just one. There were so many moments from so many talented young men in this conference. I wish, I wish that we could just say all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely everyone who Emily said is an excellent player, I think. <laughs> I no, but I even, even Holton? Even Holton Aylers? Yeah, He's had a very solid career, yes. Uh, but I started covering the AAC around 2018 or so, and that's McKenzie Milton for me. And I know that that's a biased oh, yeah. answer, but it is what it is. I mean, I knew that was going to be the answer. Did you really? Oh, yeah. No. Who else would it be? Who? I forgot about McKenzie Milton. I mean, Sauce Gardner was another great player that we oh, saw. Yeah. Um, you know, Daryl Henderson and all those other, you know, long line of Memphis running backs were all incredible there for a little while. Uh, That's true. You know, there's tons of great skill players that have come, come through this conference. Uh, you know, it, it, it is hard to limit it to just one player since yes. I've been covering it, especially like I've been doing the AC a couple more years than Emily has just because of, Mm-hmm. That's just how it works out sometimes. Uh, so you've got an even longer list, but at the risk of leaving someone out, I think I'll just leave most people out. <laughs> You're just going to pick Mackenzie Milton and that's it. Yeah. No. Okay. Who was your favorite interview? Oh. Um, Emily, you go first. Yeah. I, I really liked um, the Navy uh, fullbacks coach. Okay. That we had sure, on. Um, he and you know obviously navy went through 
some changes. So we got him before the army game, which was great. And I've known Jason a long time, not a long time, but a couple of years. And he's an extremely positive person. And the way that he talks about the players, it really almost had this way of wanting me to like go into the Navy, the way he just is so, I, I'm telling you, like I left that call and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go in the, I'm going to go in the service Academy. It's like, this is great. So um, I really enjoyed having him on. Of course, we got to talk about fullback, so I'm a little biased in that regard, but mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I thought talking to the Tulane uh, defensive guys was good in general, but Anderson, I think, was probably my favorite out of them. Yeah, he's an incredible human being. Yeah, he was fun to he's talk He's going to be really special in the league, and he he's very genuine, very humble. I got to know him a lot, like, over the course of the last few years, and he's he's going to do – good things on the field, but he's going to be one of those people that wins like the great works award because he's going to, he just plans on doing so much for the community. And that's really what was cool to hear about his plans for that. So, yeah. Uh, You both mentioned sauce Gardner and he just won defensive rookie of the year in the NFL this year, I think. Right. Um, But we're not going to get to do our NFL draft podcast. So would love to condense it down to, as quick as we can here, who do you think are some of the most NFL-ready AAC prospects this year? I don't think there's as many this year as last year, if you look at it. Uh, probably because Cincinnati didn't have a dozen or so seniors draft-worthy. <laughs> you know, uh, is the big difference. But I really like Tajay Spears, the running back from Tulane, obviously. I think he's he won't be a top – he'll probably be a third or fourth-round pick, I think. Uh, but, man, he – can catch the ball. He can break tackles. He's incredibly explosive. I think he's a very valuable running back in the NFL where everyone does everything by committee now, and you need those kind of well-rounded backs. I think that you look at Rasheed Rice. He's going to be a valuable wide receiver in the mid-rounds too, a very productive guy at SMU, and it'd be nice if he didn't have to be the only option for a team, as he kind of was this season. Uh, yeah, I... Also, I do have to shout out Alex Ward, the UCF long snapper, who's basically <laughs> an All-American every year as a long snapper. He's the only long snapper who you'll hear about in the draft. But he's yeah, he's a really good long snapper. Um, he'll be going somewhere, maybe not drafted because he's a long snapper, and who knows if NFL teams want to use a pick on that. But I did have insomnia one night and just watched tape of ward and the other like two long snappers in this guy this draft pool that are really yeah. intriguing and the kid from vmi who i'm whose name i'm blanking on right now but yeah i know what you mean mm-hmm. emily what about you i i also i uh like tajay spears like dan said and obviously you have to say rice is going to be probably the first guy off the board from the conference um if you're mm-hmm. looking at it from just a purely you know, numbers and, and skill standpoint, but there's guys, I think like Quindell Johnson from Memphis, um, the safety, he's very impressive. I think there's going to be a team mm-hmm. that needs someone like him, Josh Wiley. We're seeing tight ends be more prominent now than ever. So I think we're going to see a run on tight ends. I think Josh Wiley out of Cincinnati is going to be a guy for somebody. And that being said, I think the tight ends from Tulane, Tyreek James and Will Wallace are both going to find places to play in the NFL because that's just the model that is, is on right now. Um, I think, I don't know. I mean, I do like Alex Ward too. I thought that was funny that you said that because you don't always highlight special teams, Dan. So that was, I, that was a pleasant I think surprise. special teams matter. I know you think they matter, but we, I usually am the one that has to bring them up. But 
Okay, cool. um, I'll be interested to see where Denarius Prince as a running back ends up. I mean, I don't know that he's like a guy you see in the first day or two, mm-hmm. but somebody picks him up, even if it's as a free agent. I think he's intriguing. Um, and then I like, look. yeah, I think he will. And then I like Tulsa's kicker as well, Zach Long. I think um, with with the kicking we've seen in the NFL, they could use some some fresh legs. So yeah, still it's tough to be a kicker in the NFL just because there's 32 jobs and guys can do it for 20 years. You know, it's not like other positions where you need three or four of them and they turn over kind of quick. That's true. Unless they just start missing points after, like the Dallas yeah. kicker, for no reason. And then well, you do need somebody else. He was never that good to begin with. <laughs> he was, like, statistically doing well. And then all of a sudden just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for his career, Mars not a great kicker. Don't, I honestly don't know as much about the situation other than my boyfriend, who's a huge Cowboys fan, who was like <laughs> curse, cursing this man. Yeah, so. Oh, he was like one for five on extra points. <laughs> yeah, it was tough. Yips will get you. <laughs> you. What would you both say is your favorite memory of doing the podcast with each other these last three years or two years? Uh, I two years. I, I believe it's two, been two. two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's like one memory in particular that absolutely stands out other than how much better I was at picks, but I do think, (laughs) no, I think Emily and I became friends doing it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. pretty awesome. And I think just the general having someone who I can talk football with whenever, you know, just text or whatever has been pretty awesome. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is, is not, there's not one moment that, I think stands out more than others. It's more just having this time every week that I knew I could look forward to, to talk about football with someone who challenged me and made me see different sides of the game that I normally wouldn't, you know, inspect. And I was very, I'm very, you know, stuck in my ways and very like stubborn. Um, And he would make me see different things, whether I wanted to or not. And begrudgingly, I'm grateful for that and grateful for that time. I learned more about Stanford football in the past like year and a half than I ever felt like I needed to know. I learned more yeah, about Stanford right. football in that one Uber from the <laughs> Dallas airport with you, Emily. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. What is I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Everyone who's going to spend minutes talking to me about college football, that's going to come up at some point. But are you excited about the future now? Come on. I'm very excited about Troy Taylor, and I think he's already done things that have not been seen on the farm in a long time. So just the fact that he's willing to come in and and try whatever it takes, you know, going through the portal and picking up guys from junior colleges, like things are not traditionally Stanford ways because David Shaw was – had become a shill for the school, essentially. Um, I think – it's going to be, it's not going to be immediate, we're, you know, but it's going to be bright for, for Stanford fans. And I'm excited for them and I'm excited for the players to get some, a guy in there that actually cares about them and football and is going to make it fun again. So go Cal. This, <laughs> okay. this has been, this has been the Stanford podcast as everybody knows it is every week. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, it's been so cool to see you two kind of take this and, and make it your own thing. I think each of the leagues podcasts that have been under the UDD banner, the last five ish years have definitely had their own 
flair to it and their own uh, things about it that have made it a must listen every week. And I think, you know, the people that listen every week would say the same thing to you guys. So again, thank you for all your hard work. And I know we're appreciative of the effort that you put in each and every week. Of course, it was an honor. Yeah, I'm going to miss doing it, but yeah, we got to move on eventually, I guess. Yeah, and I, we keep telling people it's not it's not goodbye. It's see you later. We're just kind of figuring out who has money. Yeah, it's like a restructuring, reconfiguring. Everybody does it. Everybody undergoes yeah. some sort of reformation, and and we'll be back stronger. Just you know, just wait. Yeah, I'll I'll be back with that those calf implants I've been talking about getting. It'll be great. <laughs> I'm thinking about a little Botox right about now. <laughs> You're in Orlando now. That's the place to get it, man. I mean, isn't that California? Yeah, I guess. I mean, there but. are there are like cheap Botox billboards on the highway around here. Though there is one billboard on the Don't way from Orlando Don't to Tampa that. that says "discount vasectomy," and I never understand who's getting the discount oh vasectomy. <laughs> that's, that's not where you want to cheap out, you know. Yeah, that's, no, no. I'm going to the only nice in doctor. Florida. The one who's like, ooh, your insurance is too poor for me. That's the one yeah. I want. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to the optometrist at Costco, but I think I'm checking my insurance before I go. Give us a snip snip. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. Dan Morrison, Emily Van Buskirk, you're both incredible. Let's see where we end up together, huh? Absolutely. Sounds good. All right. As part of the finale festivities, bringing in the uh, former editors of Underdog Dynasty, we got Jared Kalmus live from Houston and Cyrus Smith Gaithers from Colorado. Uh, the guys who started the show uh, back in the day, what, 2018 or 2017, somewhere thereabouts? Ooh, I think 2017. I think yeah. I don't know, man. I couldn't tell yeah. you because it, it's also hard to pick an infinitive time of when the podcast started because we had so many false starts where like two people would try to do like a podcast, but it was never yes. like a formal thing. <laughs> so I mean, I'm sure in some way, shape, or form, there are MP3 files floating out in the ether that have underground dynasty <laughs> on them. <laughs> Who knows how long? But it has been quite the ride, and and to see how professional and. Uh, I guess well-maintained and produced it is compared to those early days is, is still mind-blowing to me. I mean, that's mostly thanks to Taylor Bauer. Let's, let's <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> oh man. So like, I mean, I guess when, when you started the show, was it just like, you know, we, we need to fill the gap. There's not really any like audio coverage of like CUSA and Sunbelt or was there just like, I want to hear my voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so originally it's funny because I now I'm thinking all these memories are coming back to me because I remember in the um, in our Slack channel we were even pitching what names for the podcast to be. I remember someone was like um, two dogs, one pod." That was <laughs> that was. <one> <laughs> It was, a, it was a bunch of interesting name selections before we settled on Underdog Podcast. Um, you know, the the yeah, the original premise was just the fact that there was just a void, you know. Um, I remember, um, at least in that time, the only two real prominent podcasts that I was listening to that that even touched on G5 um, football was um, PAPN with Bill Connolly and uh, Stephen Godfrey. And then 
occasionally um, the solid verbal um, back when they became, you know, at that time they weren't super mainstream as they are now, but they had, they had incorporated a few segments of G5 football on their podcast. And um, I was just like, there's, there's definitely a space for this. I know that there's a space for this. Um, And I, I've always kind of wanted to, you know, when I was the managing editor, I was always very much like, I want other people to be the front, the front facing and I'll just do the behind the scenes stuff. And so we had went through a bunch of trials as Gerald Jared um, mentioned, as far as like trying to figure out who had the best chemistry, who could actually do this, um, who had the time to do it on a regular basis. And the first episode I want to say was me and Adam Luckett. Um, I think we might've done like a, a draft. I think some, some, some sort of G5 like draft as far as like um, drafting the conferences. I, I believe that was the premise of it. If not for the first episode, then the following episodes after it. And then once we, me and him, we developed, you know, a little bit more chemistry. We kind of got a few more people um, on our team at the time who wanted to really go for it. And I, I, my intention was always to not be the front facing of it. Um, I knew that Adam wanted to do it. I knew we had other people. I think his name was Chambers. I can't remember his first name, but he was um, with App State. He wrote on App State and he had like the radio. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He had the radio background. And then from that, after the first episode, we kind of were like, you know, it's kind of tough to do all three on one. And I wanted to feature a lot more of our contributors and we had the platform to do it. And then that's when we came up with the idea of breaking it off for AAC, CUSA, and then Sunbelt. And then with Joe and Joe, their their background, um, Adam wanting to do it, and then Aikman. And then for um, CUSA, we had Joe, you know, it, yeah, it was Joe and who, I thought we had someone else. Satchel, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Satchel. Yep. The punter <laughs> from Old Dominion. That's right. Yeah. And so right from there, it was like, that's exactly how I envisioned it. Um, three different pe- you know, people, um, three different podcasts, two different hosts, no one crossing over. That way each each um, conference could have their own voice and develop their own background. And it happened just like what we do with the website under all um, under one umbrella. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorite memories of the early days was it was just it was impossible to please everybody. <laughs> uh, you know, Underdog Dynasty <laughs> has such a difficult uh, mission, right, to, to try to cover so many teams. And uh, just the nature of the beast, you're, you're going to get better coverage for some programs than others, no matter what you try and, and who you work with and who applies and, and all that. Uh, so it was funny, like running the Twitter account back in the day, and it would just be constant tweets like, why aren't you guys talking about this in the podcast? Or when are you guys going to talk about this team? When's the Sunbelt podcast coming out and all that stuff? And it was like, man, if you guys only knew how hard we try to find someone to come on and talk about, you know, Georgia State on the podcast for, for 30 minutes a week, right? Um, but that was always my my number one prevailing memory and something that I think we got a lot better at. Um, but I don't think people ever fully appreciated uh, just how difficult of a job that was to try to balance all that stuff at once. Not only that, too, but like to be knowledgeable as well. That was mm-hmm. definitely the one thing that we I remember us very much stressing um just because we could all talk like we all know college football, you know, but it it's different when you need to bring um, separate your bias, which was a lot of thing, you know, with underdog honesty, we all are fans of our respective schools that we've either gone to or rooted for. But on the podcast, you don't want to just hear, you know, someone dumping on your rival school or whatever. You want to be at least a lot more measured. And um, I think we ended up getting like the, the perfect set of um, the perfect set 
of hosts for the show. I mean, even even Satchel and him antagonizing certain um, <laughs> fan bases within the USA, I, I think you know even that was that was fun too. Fast forward to now, and nobody feels victimized by the show ever. No one ever <laughs> criticizes it. We please everybody all the time. Ten out of ten. Um, but what do you think are some of the like the biggest differences between G five fans in general between you know then versus now? Yeah, that's a tough question. You know, I, I think <clears throat> I just think the exposure changed a lot, um, and I don't know if that coincided with um, the New Year Six as far as you know that getting that featured game, you know, I, I definitely remember when, when Houston was taking off under Herman, like that exploded, like mm-hmm. our, our platform mm-hmm. a lot. Um, as far as the AAC, we have, we'd, I believe with the numbers, they, they would always have um, the most downloads for the podcast. And then um, on top of that, I think there was even like, you know, there, there wasn't really that much coverage other than us and then the hustle belt and then mountain West connection under Jeremy before they transitioned to mountain West wire. It wasn't really that much coverage out there. And I think once our platform started to get bigger, other people who like college football and then also just wanted to, you know, an, an opportunity to, um, to improve their brand or break into the media. Like um, I think they're called the G five guys. I don't really follow them, but mm-hmm. even them with their emergence and seeing that, like it was definitely a space where, mainstream college football media outlets were not covering majority like you know the rest of the sport only featuring really two three conferences and so i think that helped a lot as far as getting um uh, exposing our the podcast and getting more recognition for it you know i would say one major thing that i picked up on that was not a thing i felt when we first started underdog dynasty is the increase of like conference tribalism that you see at the G5 level. Um, that was like unheard of really when we started um Underdog Dynasty. And I, you know, I think the um, that guaranteed bid for the New Year Six Bowl game, once that went into place, like you kind of saw like these like propaganda campaigns, I guess you could say, uh, for different conferences, like trying to to bolster like, you know, the talking points and the media perception of their programs. Uh, because I felt like when we first started Underdog Dynasty, it was very much like the G5 as a collective was something that people were like proud of and wanted to protect. And and it was like a rising tide lift all boats kind of type of attitude. And like, Hey, we're all here. We all deserve attention. We're all good teams. We have good fan bases, et cetera, et cetera. But nowadays you see people tearing each other down, right? Like Sunbelt versus conference USA or, you know, American versus Mount West, whatever. Um, and I think the playoffs are, are, have and will continue to only increase that, which is kind of sad, right? I kind of miss that kind of like fraternity of, of G5 fans. Um, that was a thing when we first started because we used to get a lot of feedback like, hey, you know, I'm a UCF fan, but I love coming out or not dynasty reading about South Alabama or whatever it was. But now you're like, oh, like, why are you guys talking about App State? They play a cupcake schedule. Like they're never going to go to the New Year Six and stuff like that. And, and I feel like that has been one of the most drastic changes that I've seen if we think back to, you know, you know, nearly 10 years since we started this thing. And you know what? The the, the article, I think, that we used to always do that shed more light on that was the um, the underdog poll that we had where we just ranked the best um, mm-hmm. G5 teams. And we would pull um, uh, ballots from Hustle Bell and, um, like I said, Mount West Connection, Mount West Wire. And then that's when I really, like Jared said, that's when I re- first really started to see, like, Oh damn! Like yeah, like UCF does not really want to see themselves as an equal with Boise State, you know, or like yeah. Cincinnati kind of wanting to separate themselves from um, 
you know, other members like San Diego State or what have you. Like, it was a lot more competitive, um, which is, I guess, that, you know, that was really cool to see and, and good because it, it just showed the strength as far as the quality of football, you know, and the type of football that was played. But then, as Jared said, it, it definitely felt more tribalism because, especially with Mike Oresco and the, and the P6 brand and him intentionally trying to separate the AAC from the rest of the conference, that's when I think um, we really started to see a pivot in the responses that we get from our, from our articles. Eric, you got any questions for these guys about anything they've, uh, they've passed on to us here? Yeah. I mean, listen, I won't lie. I mean, I've just kind of enjoyed getting a chance to hear their perspective. Cause I mean, obviously they, it's been a while since Cyrus and Jared have been able to, you know, appear on the, on the podcast, just getting to hear their perspective and fascinating itself. I think, um, and I, I guess I'll, I'll kick this off to, um, to, to Cyrus first. And I'm, I'm Joe, forgive me. I'm going to uh, steal a couple of the questions you had um, for a different podcast. So hopefully those were not on your, on your ledger, but Cyrus, just in your time with the site, um, what some of your, or, or not, some, but what is your favorite memory or interaction of dealing with a fan base? Yeah. Um, my favorite, I got two really two. Um, I'll give you the bad first. The, the, the worst interaction that I had was with Marshall fans. I think I was just like a contributor at the time. I wasn't the managing editor yet, but, um, yeah, um, I, I wrote like a silly article, you know, uh, satirical mainly, uh, ranking the college towns in um, CUSA. And I, I think I had like Huntington like last, if not last, like right just above Ruston. I can't remember whether it was last or not. And, um, you know, I thought it was just like super innocuous. Like I'm just trying to fill content for the off season, you know. And then like, you know, hours go by. And at this time, I'm like, I think I'm a junior at FAU at the time. You know, a couple of hours go by, and I'm like, "Wow, there's a lot of notifications in Slack on Twitter. Like, what's going on?" <laughs> you know. Um, and so I go on there, and like, Nick was the managing editor at the time. He's like, you know, he has like all these direct messages about like how I messed up the article and that they pulled it down, and it's like all these Marshall fans. I'm like, "What the heck is he talking about?" So then I go on Twitter, and then I'm seeing like a bunch of Marshall fans just like upset at me. And I think the comment that I made was about like, um. I think burning couches, but it was really just a joke. I knew that they didn't do that in Huntington, but I knew that they did in, in Morgantown. And it was just like, there's nothing to do in West Virginia. So like, I don't like, there's no only thing you can do is like really burn couches and like, I think like go fish or something like that. And there, were, there was literally like Marshall fans in my mentions for like a month. Like not, not, not even like just like a Marshall fan with like 30 followers, but there were like AP writers who graduated <laughs> from Marshall who were like adding me and sending me DMs about like, I need to get more educated and like, how I'm not going to make it as a writer if I don't take any more like feedback as far as the community and doing research and all that stuff. And I was just like, this was just a joke article. I don't know why everyone is like, um, you know, so upset about it. And I think I even doubled down on it because at that time I was posting, I was doing um, a weekly uh, or an off-season article about the best jobs at Conference USA. And it ended up having Marshall as the best job at the time. And that was, I think, a week before this whole like mess happened. And so I remember I had tweeted something like, um, it was all good just a week ago, I think. And a lot of Western fans, they had like retweeted me. Um, because Fletcher, he he got a good kick out of that, <laughs> um, and that was at the time when the Marshall and Western Kentucky rivalry were really like was really like taking off. So that was that, yeah, that was probably my least favorite experience. Um, my favorite experience was doing the the oral history for Appalachian State <clears throat> over Michigan, 
man, that was super, super powerful to do. Um, I remember watching that game as a kid in 07. So having the privilege to tell the story and interview all the individuals who lived through it and were there, um, who played in the game. And then even like um, speaking with the director of enrollment at App State, as far as like the impact on what the game did, as far as with admissions and applications, like that was super, super cool. Um, I had a lot of App State fans send me emails about like how appreciative they were of the article um, that, you know, that even like, I think as recently, like maybe a couple of years ago, someone was like, I always come back to this article because I think it just, it's like the perfect encapsulation of like what it was to be at that time or then to see like what the game did for app enrollment and for the, and for the, for the Boone community. Um, I think that was definitely the favorite, my favorite article. And, and then also because um, it got featured on the SBN CF, CFB website. So they had it like on the, the main screen. That was the first time any of my articles, any of our articles, I think, got published or featured on the on the main um, dot com uh, platform. And so that was super super dope because it you know it gave more exposure to Underdog Dynasty, and then it just kind of confirmed all the work that we had been doing. I, I know with amongst our staff, we always felt like um, we were always overlooked because a lot of the times, like. Godfrey, or um, I can't even remember the rest of the writers at that time, but uh, they would kind of always. Alex Kirshner, yeah. Jason Kirk. They would yeah. kind of always be on our corner because, like, they're covering, you know, they want to shed light on G5 football, but they never really always, like, were like, go to Underdog Dynasty, or like, they never really featured all of our work, even though it was, we were doing good stuff too, which I'm sure that they knew, but, you know, just because of what how Fox Media was um, orchestrated at that time, they never really shed too much light on our content. So the fact that they, went out of their way to intentionally feature that article um, on the main page was, was super awesome. And then I even had a couple of FAU alums who saw my, my post on Reddit. I guess someone on app had posted it on the on our Reddit CFB, and it was like the first um, post on there. I think it was like the most highly rated for that day. So, yeah, I know it was a long answer, but that was definitely – I was like, wow, like, you know, that, you know, we made it. And then also with the podcast too. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I got to – Got to shout out Joe and Joe. Um, when they got the AAC commission on there, that's when I was like, yo, this is exactly yeah. what I envisioned. Like, we're really, really doing it. Um, for Michael Resco to kind of give us that nod as far as, you know, that they have people in there in the AAC headquarters who are reading our stuff um, on a regular basis and who are keeping up to date with us. And then um, even gave us the, you know, not only credentialed us as media um, members and contributors of the CFP community, but just like, to come on our podcast and take the time and like him do his P6 spiel, you know, like that was really awesome. That was really cool. That was really cool. Jared, really quick before you go, I will say this and I, I'll, I'll get into the specifics off air um, before I go to Jared and Joe, but Cyrus mentioned the passion of the fan bases. And I can say as someone who's, you know, done a little bit of traveling to cover games, I have stories involving all three of you uh, with fans who have said, uh, Cyrus, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say on the podcast who these people are, but Cyrus, yeah, f that guy. Um, <laughs> I had I, I had I had again. I won't mention the school. I'll tell you off here, Jared. I had an administrator say, uh, "What's this guy's problem?" Talking about you <laughs> and and Joe. Um, I you you know I've told you plenty of times. You know the the things that have come from travel, but also also good stories as well. But I will get into the the specifics of those off air. So, Jared, you're uh, you're up next, man. Uh, so, <clears throat> sorry, focus on kind of the 
important stuff. I'll focus on the goofy stuff. One of my favorite things to do was there was a point in time where like every Thursday college football game, I would try to live tweet it. And I would always find a way to do a big red meme and it would go viral every time like money. And like, it's so funny because I feel like these stupid memes got us so much exposure, not only for underdog dynasty, but also for like all the sport or all the programs that we, <clears throat> that we cover, excuse me. Uh, because like these big time sports writers would pick up on it and they would publish it and they would follow us. And then it would like have this trickle down effect where we would see like our traffic numbers actually increase like based off some silly little tweet that we did, you know, with, with Vic Red riding a bicycle and somehow relating that to whatever game was on TV that night. So that was always a blast for me. Um, Eric, I have very similar travel stories as well, going to Hattiesburg. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know what we did to Southern Miss, but Southern Miss has always hated Underdog Dynasty. And mm-hmm. it's all, yeah, it's been crazy. So I was in Hattiesburg and I would like mention that I wrote for Underdog Dynasty. People just like walk away. Like it was, it was surreal. Absolutely crazy. Um, but another one, I, again, I won't tell the specifics, but I have a friend that, you know, works in, in college football media. And uh, he was at a urinal at the ACC event. And somehow someone mentioned Underdog Dynasty and like a really high name, college football writer was like oh i read underdog dynasty every day i was like what i heard that story i was like are you kidding me so it was just cool to see like the reach that we had and without even really knowing it at the time and uh a lot of like crazy interactions with some crazy fans that were very passionate but it was always great to see that there was that buy-in and and kind of prove like why we started this thing and and kept it running as long as we did it's just because like the market was there and and, and people like really appreciated it. And then they would sure let us know when we were meeting or not making the mark, you know? Just to piggyback off of what Jerry said, you know, I think the time when I knew the impact of Underdog Dynasty, honestly, not just as far as like from a fan's perspective, is when I went to go um, to go to the Baylor UTSA game with the tailgate. And, you know, you just, I was Jared's guest and I know Jared is very much steep in the, in, in the UTSA community, you know? And I was walking around the tailgate and so many people like knew me and were thanking me about like producing content for the site and like reading my articles. Like I had someone say like they read my stuff like every Thursday when I did the choosing CUSA column, you know, and they were like, they were like super just appreciative and thankful for it. And I hadn't really received, it's different, I guess, when you get it face to face or through an email versus like, you know, you can you go to a tailgate and people are like, let me give you food for like, you know, writing articles and stuff like that or beers, you know, like I had to, I couldn't say no. I, I gained so much weight that, weekend, <laughs> that day. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great time too. That was a great time too. Joe, do you want to save your, uh, your recollections for when we have our, our own time or do you want to jump in here or just piggyback off these two guys? Uh, I mean, we can talk about like our own interactions with, with fans or whatever uh, when, when we tape our thing, but sure. Uh, I, I did have a couple more for you guys. I'm curious, you know, when you guys ultimately moved on to your other projects, which I'll, I'll give you room to plug in a second. Uh, but when you passed it on to, to Eric and myself, was it just, we got to find two guys that look like us with worse facial hair or was it something <laughs> deeper than that? You know, for me, it's, it's been awesome to kind of watch what you guys do from a distance. Cause the door, door was always open. If you guys wanted, you know, feedback and stuff from us as far as how to do it. But I felt very, very confident that you two knew what to do. Uh, honestly, I was never really concerned about the the longevity of the site or whether it would um, 
not continue to flourish without me and Jared um, overseeing it. Uh, I think the, what I trusted you guys the most about was that I saw with you and Joe and what Jared just kind of mentioned is that like you always did like the funny stuff of, of G5 football. You know, you always did like funny articles or like very much like um, I think one of the articles I remember you doing was something with art. Or something like that with CUSA. I can't remember. I think it was art. I want to say it was art. And I was like, this is exactly like who I want. Like, this is who should be the next um, face for the site. And then with Eric, I think he kind of always, in me, I, I saw a lot of myself in, in him and that he approached it from like the journalistic perspective, you know, of like wanting to make sure you do right by the institution that you're covering, but doing so fairly, you know? And I think with him, I had always seen like the the vacantness of um, the lack of media coverage that FIU received. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I remember reaching out to him because we were talking about whether he wanted to cover UCF or not. And this was right before I think black and gold baronet had um, started their blog. And he was asking me about whether he should cover UCF or AAC football for underdog dynasty or, or, you know, FAU or FIU. And I remember like saying like, no one covers FIU. Like, I promise you, like, if you want to break into the industry or whatever, like it's Miami, it's a perfect opportunity for you to do that. And then he kind of ran with it. You know, I didn't really need to say any more than that other than him to know that like there's a void here. And I felt like he had a talent that can fill it. And then once I forgot his his name, but um, the guy who used to do FIU sports and they laid him off. I, I cannot remember his name. He was he was Pete, really good. Pete Holden. Yeah, Pete, yeah. Once they had let Pete go, I felt really bad. But then I had knew like Eric is about to take off. I had knew I had immediately knew like everyone who follows FIU football and content and, and wants to you know make sure that they're up to date with the CFB in general. They're going to go to Eric and follow him to make sure they get cover all their bases and to see what he's done with that platform, that space, and how it's propelled not only his career but Underdog Dynasty as well. Is like I. Um, that's like one of the proudest things that um, in my life that I was able to have that vision and trust Eric and you as well, Joe, as far as like, you know, to propel the, the website and the podcast into another level. I mean, for me, <clears throat> for me, there was never any question of who the, the best men to hand this thing off to were. And I actually fought pretty hard to make sure that you guys were going to get your opportunity to do so. Uh, going up to Vox Leadership, the people that I never talked to. I'm like, you guys are out of your mind if you do not give these guys the chance to run this ship. Um, and it's mostly because you guys perfectly towed that line of professionalism, but also having fun and like realizing this is just a game at the end of the day. Because that's really like what Underdog Dynasty, like the culture that we had built, like when this thing first started up, um, was always like, let's not take ourselves so seriously, but let's also provide news and coverage that you're not going to get anywhere else, right? And uh, I mean, you think back, like our coverage of like the UAB shutdown and stuff like that, like we were on the ground floor of that stuff, like reporting from the front lines, but then you'll click back on a Friday and it's like, you know, here's the stupidest fast food item you can buy in each conference USA town or something <laughs> like that, you know? It's just like the duality of college football is what makes the sport so great and, and that's not even just a g5 thing that's like all of college football um and to, to know that you guys have the ability and the desire to continue kind of having a foot in both realms so to speak and um you guys have just absolutely shown that that was the right decision and you guys have like totally like nailed what cyrus and i have always dreamed of this site becoming this podcast becoming so i want to thank you guys for taking the baton and, and turning it into what it is today absolutely yeah uh, thank you pharrell I'm going to take the very sweet sentiments that you all just relayed and immediately ruin it. Eric just found out what a Rubier float is today. Discuss. Yeah, I saw that. That's just, that's sad. Although I mean, I remember making a tweet about root beer floats and how 
you don't really get them unless you're a kid. No, no, I've never seen anyone have a root beer float outside of like as soon as like you're in high school or a teen, like you don't get them. Only nine or like eight is when you like, oh, ice cream and soda, that's appealing. But after like, that. Joe, since since you ruined the sentiment, yeah. I'm going to take 15 seconds and defend myself. All right. I'm going straight to Cyrus. Why not? Cyrus, I know you've lived in other places mm-hmm. and you just made the point really well, but you've also lived in Orlando and went to school in South Florida. Yeah. I'm just going to say this, lay out this statement. True or false? True or false? In theory, if you've spent the majority of your life, especially like at the age you're talking about, which you have consumed a root beer float from Orlando South, you could have, in theory, never have either like encountered a root beer float, uh, heard of a root beer float. Like those things are not just re- like abundant in Central to South Florida. True or false? That is true. That is true. That's, that's all I needed. That's all I needed. <laughs> I mean, Midwest and Northeast transplants have been ruining that quarter of Florida. For <laughs> that is awesome. I would have thought that would have been one thing that made it down to you guys. Uh, uh, Joe, to 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 kind of tie everything in here, the fun and the seriousness. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's been a day when FIU's defensive coordinator has reached out to me on Twitter about the fact that I had not had a root beer float. That just goes to show, like, the encapsulation of everything underdog. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Did you like it? Did you try it? Did you like it? I know. I have, I, I, I just found out what it was. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. So I'm going to – I've been challenged by, like, 10 people. So I'm going to try it. I found out there's a Dr. Pepper float. There's, like, Coke floats. No, 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 no. Just do the root beer float. You don't need to okay. try the other mechanism. Either root beer or cream soda. That's all you really okay. need to kind of get a good judgment of whether you like it or not. Got it. Got Cream it. soda is just like the Midwest in a nutshell. Carbonated milk, basically. Like that's <laughs> which that's what we're talking to Broback about when we get him on here. Oh man, Jared Cyrus, do you want to plug what uh, you all have been working on and are working on currently outside of uh, Underdog and, and other stuff? Which I should say, you guys still contribute to the site from time to time. And the site, and again, the site's not going anywhere. It's just a podcast that's going away for now. Yeah, stay on your toes. If I've got a uh, UTRGV scoop, I will be sure to throw it onto Underdog Dynasty. So stay <laughs> stay ready there. Uh, but most of my time these days outside of my day job, of course, is spent with uh, Almodome Audible. So uh, Idra and I, we were both contributors to Underdog Dynasty. And we just wanted to go full bore UTSA coverage with our own UTSA specific podcast. Um, and then that grew into a website, which grew into a Patreon. And uh, we got a lot of things in the fire and, and the way that that's grown has been surreal. Um, so we, we invest a lot of our time and money into that and it's been an awesome journey. So if you guys are curious what I'm up to, be sure to check out alamodomaudible.com. Uh, you can follow us at Alamo Audible on Twitter. For me, man, you know, the reason I stepped down from man, from the position of being a managing editor was to pursue an MFA degree. I just graduated in January. Um, and at the graduation ceremony, ironically enough, I had an editor reach out to me and he, it looks like I'm going to be a published author by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, my short story is going to be published. Um, so that's what I've been up to. And then also screenwriting. And, um, because I don't watch enough movies, um, a lot of my friends, um, have started their own podcast, which Taylor edits. I don't know if Taylor even told you, you guys, um, Joe and Eric, but I had looped him in with, um, a couple of my friends. So he edits our podcast which is called lift deliciously it's um an a24 podcast um 
an A24 movie podcast in which we uh, break that. down movies and compare them in a bracket. Every A24 movie. <laughs> oh, man. That is, that is so Cyrus Smith. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, it's very me. It's super fun. Um, we literally just went live um, as far as publishing um, episodes yesterday, actually. Um, and so that's been a great experience. We've been recording episodes since December, and it's been a lot of work watching these damn movies. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm having placed in screenwriting competitions. You know, you kind of already have an idea, but now that I'm exposing myself to a lot more storytelling and kind of understanding um, different methods and, and as far as how to like, you know, make a movie, I can say it's definitely helped my screenwriting abilities a lot now that I'm working also with the script supervisor. So I'm still doing writing things, just not anything sports related, but Live Deliciously, you can find that on Twitter. Um, I believe you can find that on Instagram as well. And yeah, it's a super fun podcast. We just break down movies, compare and contrast them, and then advance the bracket. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it's going because, man, there are a lot of great movies that A24 produced, but I didn't know like they produced Spring Breakers. Oh my God, that movie is awful. I remember it was awful at the time, but oh my God, it is awful now. <laughs> looking at it now. So yeah, uh, uh, you know, Live, Delicious, Live Deliciously is um, the name of the podcast. Such a good Robert Eggers reference. Joe, really quick, before you bring us home, I just want to take yeah. Obviously, we'll do this on our own time, but I want to do it while we have Cyrus and Jared here. Um, want to say thank you to them for uh, giving us the opportunity, not only to you know, take over for them in terms of managing the site, but um, I'll piggyback off what Cyrus said. You know, Cyrus had the foresight when bringing me onto the site to really uh, kind of uh, slightly gently push me to that FIU lane when, you know, I wasn't really looking for it and any measure of success that I've had. Um, and obviously, you know, I was working in, in broadcast and in, in broadcast TV, um, local TV and production prior to UDD, but in terms of writing any success that I've had, uh, now and we'll have in the future, uh, I really have these two guys to thank for. And like I said, with Cyrus, uh, if you had told me five years ago that I'd be making, you know, like bi-weekly or bi-monthly radio appearances on Miami radio, I wouldn't have believed you. But that literally was because Cyrus had the foresight to uh, everything he just said, which is there was no lane. Uh, there was no coverage. And, you know, I, again, can't thank Cyrus and Jared enough. So just want to take two minutes to thank uh, you guys here while we got you on the pod. Here, here. Thank you guys, man. I really appreciate it. When I look back on Underdog Dynasty and, and all the countless hours that we put in throughout the years, the number one thing I always take back and, and hold the most pride on is how many careers we help launch you know in media uh in, in other areas as well you know a lot of students that were just looking for an outlet and they had passion that was kind of unfocused in and giving them uh some kind of outlet and some kind of direction to find what they wanted to do in life and you know the number of people like we put together an underdog dynasty alumni list at one point and it was just mind-blowing how many people went on to uh, these awesome awesome careers and and you guys are are on that list as well, man. And to, to know that it's going to continue to keep going, getting longer and longer is something that uh, I'll always carry with me with a lot of pride. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't, everything Jared said is, is exactly how I feel. That's the, that's probably my favorite accomplishment that the site has achieved is that um, we've thankfully accepted the role of being a stepping stone and have propelled other people to get actual careers and make a living. Um, writing about sports, writing about football. You know, there's countless names, countless individuals who did so much great work for Underdog Dynasty. And it's been a pleasure to see that they've grown, been able to take what they've learned from us, but then also the opportunity from that UDD um, presented to themselves and elevated themselves, whether that's as a photographer, 
um, as a contributor, as a writer, um, and then as a as a radio personality. So yeah, it's it's been a ride, and fortunately, the site is not going anywhere. Um, it'll be sad to see the the podcast leave, but fortunately, you know, I know that the work will continue to be done extremely well, and there'll be more great stories to be told on the website. Long live Underdog Dynasty. Long live Big Red. Long live Root Beer Floats. <laughs> Yeah, still hard to believe this. This is coming to an end in this form. Like I've said uh, several times, we're still kind of figuring out what our next steps are in terms of keeping this going. As you know, us two guys who talk about football and hopefully bringing bringing more with us, and hopefully we'll have more updates uh, later on. And if you want to follow us on Twitter at joehio underscore and at Eric C Henry underscore and Eric, I know I usually give those social handles at the end of the episode, but I know we wanted to you know kind of spend a little time reminiscing on you know our professional relationship, how we kind of came to came to be, and how we're you know how we've been working together the last few years here. Yeah, man, it's kind of surreal that this is coming to an end. Um, I, I'm gonna wax poetically and then try to, you know, formulate some questions for you as we have for uh, our, our guests. But yeah, man, um, wax. I, <laughs> I I owe much of my professional success, um, whatever modicum of success you want to consider at professionally, um, and some opportunities that you know have been afforded to me um, in the future which, you know, we can get into another time, definitely not for this podcast, but uh, um, they've come from UDD. And I just got to thank Cyrus Smith and, you know, Jared Lonergan for Jared Lonergan's tries again. <laughs> Jared Kalmus. <laughs> this is the episode where people find out you don't know my name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How'd I, I get Jared Lonergan? Uh, Jared Kalmus for giving me the opportunity. You know, I, I certainly... Um, I think one of the things that one of the things that's unique about this site is, for the most part, we have people who are looking to advance in in you know media, but they have some affiliation with the school that they cover. I do not, I did not go to FIU. <laughs> I um, I'm a graduate of UCF, you know, UCF in Northwestern, and um, I did not have the foresight that Cyrus um had in terms of knowing the and again this is no disrespect to the miami herald um shout out to my, my buddy walt via who does a great job covering uh fiu for the herald but you know in terms of uh, a day in day out you know home road or otherwise um reporter and presence they there is nobody for fiu you know um uh, and Cyrus had kind of had the foresight to know that there was an opportunity there and he suggested FIU and I kind of took it and ran with it, but any success that I've had, um, leads right, uh, to, to that decision. I can't just say enough how grateful I am of those guys for the opportunity. And then in specificity with this pod, man, I, um, you know, Joe, <laughs> like I said earlier, we'd start to tape this and then we got cut off, but, uh, I will say that I, I've been privileged enough to uh make a friend and call you a friend um <laughs> how i ended up on the podcast was just a matter of i just got a text from cyrus it was like hey you want to fill in on the pod we got an opening i was like sure yeah and i had never interacted with joe prior joe lonergan um prior um not that i that it's like not in a distinctive way that's coming to mind you know we just kind of start doing the pod. And from there, you know, here we are, what, four years later, five seasons, four years. And like I said, buddy, you know, 
you and I've been doing this pod even before we we were kind of joined at the hip. Um, you know, work husband, work wife. You guys can decide who is which as far as um, managing the site, but. Uh, getting to know you and getting a chance to talk to you basically weekly, Joe, because I can't thank you enough. There's no one else who I can think of that I would have rather, you know, done this, this endeavor, whether it's the podcast or managing the site than, than you, because you've had the same level of commitment uh, to this that I have, you know, as far as being willing to do it week in and week out, um, making the time for it, no matter, you know, what's going on. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's been, it's been great to talk to you every week for the past four years, man. So, you know, I, 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 I will, I will miss talking to you in this form. Um, but as we've said before, we, we hope that this is not, this is, is not goodbye. It's see you later. So, mm-hmm. um, our, our professional relationship will continue, uh, uh, you know, f- f- it'll continue in the future and, you know, we, we can elaborate on that another time, but on a personal note, man, I just want to say thank you. Um, cause again, there's no one else who I would rather done this with. Well, the feeling's completely mutual. Absolutely, man. And like <laughs> the professional relationship will continue, but we're not friends anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Like, you know, I, I, I was, I think I was doing this uh, with Underdog in 2017 and I was doing, you know, some other uh, roles within sports. And I was just like, I got to I really want to get back into content creation and uh when you know i i kind of approached cyrus and jared about it was like i will do anything and they were like what do you know of big red and i was like let me tell you (laughs) so that's uh that's kind of how i got to the site and then the you know the podcast um i you know i don't know i think they just kind of put out an open call when we first started doing it of like does anybody want to uh, does anybody feel comfortable enough rather of like talking about conference USA for 30 minutes or more? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I, I was working with Satchel Ziffer for a little bit. I believe it was a bit, just about a full season. And then when we got to that, that off season, uh, you know, we, we changed things up and Eric and Eric came in and Cyrus is like, you're working with Eric Henry now. And I was like, all right, well, let's see who this guy is. And uh, you know, every, every single time we recorded, you have come just like, ready to go and you know regardless of of what actual preparation we put into every episode you you make everything sound as as polished as ever and i i can't thank you enough for that and frankly there there are days when i come in and I, you know i don't i don't want to do this i don't want to you know i'm i'm tired i'm you know angry or whatever and every and every time we we just get going it just it's it's just easy you know, and I can't thank you enough for being that that professional yin to my yang over the last couple of years. And I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing where this goes and continuing to do this, man. Yeah, man. Like I said, I, 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 uh, you know, appreciate that. Um, I, I think that's that's one of the things that, again, we're not here trying to, you know, kiss our own ass and, and give each other kudos. But it's that's how I threw my back out. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, uh, one of the things that I hope people realize is, uh, you know, with you being on the West Coast and me being on the East Coast, mm-hmm. even that in itself has made it like a challenge at times to be able to, you know, sit down and do this weekly. Um, but it, I think you and I, you know, we, we hold each other like accountable in, in a good way, not in like a, you know, overbearing like boss type way. But yeah, it, it, it's been incredible to do this with you and, you know, 
weeks when, you know, I might not be on my best game, you know, you have it and vice versa. And one of the things I I do want to say this publicly uh, before we kind of get into, you know, like favorite memories is there are times when, you know, I'm out covering games and whatnot and and people want to bash Joe and like, if it's fun and it's friendly, that's one thing, you know what I mean? Um, Uh that's, That's just part of the deal. But when some people say, Oh, you know, like, Joe sounds this or Joe sounds that or, or yeah, people kind of come up and, you know, they say, oh, you know, Joe doesn't do this or, or, you know, Joe sounds this way on the podcast. He doesn't sound as, as prepared or, or knowledgeable or whatnot, or even sometimes when I do radio spots and they say the managing editor, like solo managing editor and proprietor of underdog dynasty. And, I, and I'm like, all right, guys, hold on a second. First off, this is a dual effort. And two, there are so many things behind the scenes that Joe does that, you know, quite frankly, listen, I have no qualm saying this. Like I, a lot of the things that I do for the site um, that may bring publicity for the site, <laughs> it, it's kind of like the glory deal. You know, it, it's, it's kind of like in news, the, the reporter is the one who gets all the credit, but you know, the photojournalist or the camera person is never um, credited at all. Um, but both roles are equally as important. This could not be done without Joe. By this being this podcast and this site could could not be done without Joe's work. So I, I just want to, you know, again, say thank you, buddy. And, um, you know, give my, my, again, my appreciation for uh, all the work you've done. Because I know a lot of the stuff, whether it's, you know, breaking news with FIU or some conference USA stuff that's kind of garnered me some, you know, personal um, accolades, which is great. And, mm-hmm. and in turn, you know, people kind of associate me with the site. Um, and even, even when the announcement of, of the, uh, the podcast ending, those people said like, you know, your staff does a great job. Like this is, this is our staff, you know, so yeah. I just want to make sure that's stated. Um, and again, say thank you, buddy. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate it. What can I say? I'm a lineman. I don't, I don't, I feel, I feel (laughs) uncomfortable in, in the spotlight. And I know that's a weird thing to say working in media in general, but I have no problem with you being the face and then me being, you know, back here doing what I do. Like it, it doesn't. And you know, we split the work 50, 50 right down the middle. So it doesn't, I don't know. None of that stuff really bothers me. It's just like, I don't know (laughs) when people are like, I don't like him. I'm like, I'm right here. You can say it to me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on that note, man, I am curious. What is, yeah. Yeah, and I won't hold you to one, but like, if there is one, a favorite uh, memory that comes to mind of doing this podcast. Oh man. I really enjoyed getting to do CUSA media days with everybody. That was probably my favorite experience as, you know, a part of, of underdog. Um, we've gotten to talk to, to so many coaches um, as well over the last five years or so. And I think that that really has been kind of the thing where just as far as my own, like uh, evaluation of, of my career or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right. Like I'm, I am where I am. And that's and again, in a large part, uh, due to, to you and, and our relationship and, and that sort of thing. But I don't know. I mean, I think part of me has always just like really enjoyed getting to, you know, learn from those coaches that we brought on and getting to, um, have those kind of conversations. I mean, and think in terms of the thing that was just the most fun, um, 
man, I, I, yeah, probably, probably just getting to meet everybody at CUSA media day. That was, that was a blast and getting to, you know, actually be in, in the same room with you and work on some of those stuff, some, some of those things that, uh, that we've done over the last few years, like in a real world capacity, uh, was, was a blast and something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my professional life for sure. What about you? I'm going to piggyback off your answer because it was kind of similar for me. Uh, I first of all, you know, want to again, give thanks to every guest that made time to come on the podcast with us, you know, coaches and people from the league and, you know, beat writers. I mean, the list goes on. I, I, I will say, because I know you talk about uh, learning from a lot of the coaches, and, and I would say that you know uh, I've been open about really enjoyed the conversations we've had with Tyson Helton, um, but really again all the coaches. Joe, we've done some pretty funny interviews with some of the, the league media, you know, where it's been Brett Vito or Evan Dudley, Corey Diaz, you know, or, um, yeah, just so many people. And this goes on. I mean, you know, Jared McDonald. Um, uh, you know, Kevin Fielder, uh, I'm just trying to run through and see if there's anybody I'm missing. Hunter, I, I mean, Hunter, geez, Hunter coming up, being, being a part of the site, watching his growth. I mean, that's another one that's been that's been phenomenal. Um, I'm wondering if there's anybody else I'm missing. I mean, Sam Dowden, et cetera, the list goes on. But we've had, I, I got to give a personal shout to Evan uh, Dudley. We've had some yeah. hilarious moments with Evan on on this podcast. Evan and and Jared, Jared McDonald, um, just being loose with us and and, and truly kind of like embracing the zany, you know that mm-hmm. that was really fun. Um, so definitely want to kind of talk about those. And then also, yeah, man, getting to meet everyone at CSA Media Days, which again I'd met Steve Helwig. Yeah, I'd met Steve Helwig prior. The only person I hadn't met was you, which is freaking crazy right considering the fact that right. we had known each other quote unquote the longest like i've known you before i've known emily um or, or actually right, right around the same time but you know I, I anyone who's ever encountered emily van buskirk knows she is a you know walking party so you know that is going to be entertaining like before we close this up should we just take five minutes and just talk about that two day span uh, I mean, yeah, if we can fit it into five minutes, I mean, <laughs> that was, that was a time I remember getting off, like I got off the plane at DFW and I met up with Emily and we get, we took, we took the Uber to Texas live. And in that Uber, I learned more about Stanford <laughs> football than I ever thought I <laughs> wanted to know and it was it was genuinely like i was like okay that that was like my first like one-on-one interaction with emily and i was like all right like i'm very glad she's a part of our team she's very smart and knows a lot about just the ins and outs of of college athletics um and then we met kevin (laughs) um yeah when, when we got yeah that was then you know we got the texas live we hung out and uh that that was surreal just like being in that environment and seeing like all the like CUSA coaches just hang out at the bar and, and, you know, shoot the breeze with it, with each other. Yeah. You know, I will try to quickly surmise that as well. Um, so I, I got off my flight, Kevin Fielder and I got there pretty early. So he and I got off our flight and we thought we'd be able to check into the Airbnb, which was pretty dope Airbnb by the way. Um, but we thought we'd be able to check in and we were denied. So we basically were spending five, six hours in suburban Dallas, just killing time. And we had mimosas and ate biscuits. 
<laughs> which is a hell of a combination. But that's what we did to kill time. Uh, it was at that point, which I truly realized once I met you in person, Joe, that Kevin Fielder is likely the uh, um, son of somewhere of you. I, I won't put, you know, your lovely wife in this, but you know, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's your son somewhere down the line. He's somewhere in there. Yeah. We'll, he, we'll, include, I was gonna say, we'll, we'll include the picture maybe in, in uh, somewhere in, in the link of this story of uh, this uh, pod. <laughs> so you guys can assess for yourself, but no, man, I mean, dude, it felt like college again. I mean, meeting up yeah. with, you know, a couple of new people and, and we got the Airbnb and we made, did the most college thing ever, which is kind of shows our vibe. <laughs> We walked to a convenience store and bought, what, beer? A, sh- uh, a crap ton mm-hmm. of beer. I'm, I won't cuss, even though it's the last one. A crap mm-hmm. ton of beer. Um, did we buy, like, beer pong, uh, like, ping pong balls for beer pong? We did. I don't We did. Did we? I don't think we played beer pong. I don't think we ever played, yeah, because we just we ended up killing all the beer and then had to get ready for media days and whatnot, um, which, I mean, again, that in itself was funny. You talked about just shooting the breeze to all the coaches, me and Kevin, as we're killing time, we then went to Texas live before you guys got there. And, uh, you know, we saw coach stock still Rick Stockstill, just, you know, they're hanging out. So we got to chat with him for a little bit. Of course, Mike McIntyre coming by the table <laughs> in classic coach back fashion. Uh, you know, that was fun. So yeah, man, that, in, that entire weekend was just incredible. You mentioned the Airbnb too. It had a putting green in it. That was sick. <laughs> that was something. Yeah. We didn't get a chance to take advantage of the putting green, but that was, Again, uh, a very sweet Airbnb. So yeah. at least that was a, a highlight. Yeah. If you were, we didn't play as many drinking games as I thought we were going to, which was the one, <laughs> one regret. The issue with that, Joe, is self admittedly, I'm a lightweight uh, at this point in time in my life. 10 sure. years ago, like when I was uh, uh, like, what, 20, 21, you know? Yeah. And yeah, like if you knew UCF me, Red Bull and vodkas were being consumed at an insane rate, usually double fisting. And I was hitting on former professors of mine. Um, <laughs> that is a true story. But, you know, again, yeah. they, they've cut this uh, this form we have, so I won't tell it. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think part of this because I'm a lightweight and um, uh, I think Emily's a bit of a lightweight in her in her uh, advanced age. Wink, wink, M. So yeah, I think that's why that happened. Uh, fair enough, man. Fair enough. I do, what's left? Like, what, what else do we have to talk about? I feel like we've covered life. We've covered love. We've covered booze. We've covered the shady convenience stores of uh, Arlington, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anything else but to just, you know, say th- thank you to all of you who took the time to listen to this in any shape, form, fashion, legit. Um, just thank you. You know, because uh, it, it is the interaction with fan bases has been incredible and it's more than I could have ever anticipated. So I, I will end my thoughts with just a sincere thank you to all of you who've listened. And I already thank you, Joe. Taylor, play some like cowboy music as we metaphorically ride off into the sunset here. Thank you all so much for listening to the Underdog Podcast over the years. Uh, you know, for now, we won't say goodbye. We'll say see you later and obviously keep you all posted on what's next for us and our staff as far as our uh, audio content. You can still check out 
uh, A, the backlog of episodes in the same place they've always been, underdogdynasty.com. And we're going to continue to do uh, college football content on underdogdynasty.com in a written form. And again, we never know what the future holds, for better or worse. So uh, be paying attention there at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter and uh, any other social media that you use. We, we basically just use Twitter, so that's probably the best place to uh, follow along with, with what we're working on there. Uh, and for the last time for a while, I'll say happy football watching everybody. We'll talk to you soon.